Welcome, welcome to Bridge the Gap. My name is Holden Stefan Roy, and uh, while we have chatted before, I'll still introduce to you the premise of the show on the camera as we come and do it, just so that everyone understands. Um, what we are trying to do is bridge gaps in knowledge. So you have a life that you have lived with a lot of experience, and considering the album you just dropped, which is a tribute to your hometown in a way that not many people know how to actually do correctly, you have evidently lived a life that is fascinating. Your current choices of being in a van, fascinating. Touring, Amer touring like that, fascinating, my guy. You are living a life so many people wish they could. Like, you're living the fantasy. Mm -hmm. Even if whatever you feel about it, that's how it looks to me. Like, you're doing some shit that we plan to aspire to be one day. Free mm -hmm. is what it looks like. So to me, there's so much to learn there. I watch you on Facebook for a lot of minutes, and you talk in all sorts of smart and interesting stuff had to talk to you, you know, like you have knowledge nuggets and we like to extract the knowledge nuggets, go through your life, learn what we can, have a nice lengthy conversation, go on all the tangents that we want and just uh, do what we can to learn, you know, that's that's the main course of this, that's why it's called Bridge the Gap, that's what we hope to do and so welcome, uh, welcome Precious Gorgeous, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for having me, I'm, I'm, I'm super I'm super excited. I, I don't even know if I'm prepared, but I'm going to do my best. You're as prepared as you can be, my guy. You're here and you're ready to talk. I see you. You're ready to go. I know it. Um, so let's let's ask my first token question. From there, it gets derailed. But the first question's basically the same on each of them. It's a little bit of a story, so you'll have to like bear with it. But it's going to land. You're going to be like, whatever. And you can answer the question. So it starts out with my girlfriend. And uh, she's washing the dishes. And uh, she's listening to that song by the Black Eyed Peas that I got a feeling that I got a feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so she's I bumping that. A lot of karaoke. Yeah, it's a great song. But she's dancing yeah. to it, washing dishes. And I'm having this moment and this like flashback to like being younger. And we're all inside of the clubs. And we're all jumping around to that very same song. And at one point in time, like in my youth or days, is club music. And that's his role. It's there to make us get lit, get drunk every single day. And now that song, all this time later, is chores music. It's exercise music. In fact, it's very sober music, all things considered. You could even argue it's mom music, depending on how far you want to take it. Um, so that means that all that club shit today, it's like mom club, you know, future chores music of the future. Some people get a little mad if I say mom music, but it's kind of what it is, right? It's just the future of what happens to music over time. But what's cool, I guess, about that is it brought me back, right? Because a lot of people, when they think about their musical journeys, they often think it's like, you know, when they start picking and choosing and getting into it, which is when we care the most for sure. But it really starts before that. Like for myself, I'm a young guy, like five, let's say. My dad's got a bunch of tape set up to those speakers with the little wire cutter wires and shit. And he would play that Led Zeppelins and he would play his classic rocks in his shitty 90s techno. I mean, I like it now, but back then it was shitty. I mean, I really like it now, but it was shitty back then. And then my mom had her like bootleg knockoff disco tapes, like the ones you could buy at the convenience store for three bucks and shit. And like oh. all of that kind of stuff. And it was just the vibes. In the car, there was like Chris DeBerg and stuff. And then as I asked this question, you know, sometimes there was grandmas involved and older siblings. I'm the older their siblings so for me there was no other siblings but what it made me realize is for you as an artist your music journey kind of starts when you're like really young like five-ish all that kind of youthful ages your earliest memories when you had no control over the sounds in your life 
and it was really the sounds that were around you by your parents or your family or the radios or whatever so i was hoping you could bring us all the way back to being real young and you could walk us through the very very beginnings of your musical experiences back before you had control man um i want to say you know i'm from brooklyn i grew up in brooklyn and queens I want to say that there's not much because I grew up, you know, always hearing whatever radio stations were around, whatever sounds of New York there were, but I really didn't pay attention. It was just around me and I don't remember paying any special attention to it. There's probably songs that I liked here and there um, that I like to hear, but it just never, music never really occurred to me. Mm. Uh, I remember my dad, when maybe when I got a little older, around 10, 11, 12, my dad had um, some tapes around that were like, or some CDs, maybe like Whitney Houston or TLC or something that I would listen to and be like, oh, what's going on with these? Um, you know, but I remember being in school and being on a three-way call with my friends. I was probably like 10, 11, and my friends were like, oh, what about Busta Rhymes? And I was like, who is Busta Rhymes? Like, I had, I had no idea. Um, what my real journey is, music doesn't enter the conversation for me until 12. That's fair. And were there other noteworthy that... things before 12 that were not related to music that was interesting? Because I usually follow it up and then I roll it back and ask about dancing and then I ask about drawing. And so. Well, dancing is. Ooh, okay. So, ooh, okay. So this. These are all elements, right? So basically, yeah, we start touching right. on all the elements at youth and see which ones were tickled. All I ha all I can say about youth, like as, as young as five years old, is I just had I, you know New York playing around me all the time, but I never paid it any attention. If it, unless it was like you know here and there a song would creep in, like "Killing Me Softly," Lauren Hill's "Killing Me Softly" or whatever. But for the most part, I wasn't paying any attention. At seven, there was something music. I'll get to it. But at seven, I decided I was going to be my cousin gave me a book, How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. Hey, and I decided I was going to, yep. That's amazing. Big, that book was the Bible for me. For my, I decided pretty much when I got it, I was going to be a comic book artist for Marvel Comics. And so I spent pretty much, that was I was seven. I spent the first 13, 14 years of my life just doing that. Like obsessively devouring comic books, drawing all the time, writing little comic books. Um reading art books going to the library all the time looking for art books reading comic strips and and super comic books like devouring that's all i did until about 21 maybe yeah that's actually really Not nifty i say that because yeah. while most people might hear that and go one way with it my best friend is a comic book writer to this day. He's actually just started a Twitch thing to work on his art more publicly. So when you describe that, I pictured living with him and watching him do the things, watching him script. He taught me about how you script pages for the boxes with the words and how like you have to think about all sorts of different elements and stuff. So at the very least, I appreciate how fucking cool that is and a lot of the levels of things you had to do to pursue that journey. Now, to me, that's part of your journey, and there's no way you're the kind of artist you are without some loves of all sorts of other shit floating in. Because, yo, one of the things my dude Ismail said is he's not just a rapper, he's clearly an artist. And I'm like, yeah, that's big facts. Precious Gorgeous is big facts and artist, man. 
man, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely an artist. I definitely, my whole life is art. Right now, I make my living strictly from art. Um, I don't know how much you do or don't know about. I'm a college professor. My guy, I know nothing uh, about you, really. I listen okay, to the good. project. <laughs> that's why. Yeah. I, that's half the reason I do this format. I've kind of like, yo, I don't have time to. I don't have a research team. It's just, it's just me. So we do you, episode yeah. one is well, we have my girlfriend. She's there. Chris Crumbs editing. Shout out everyone else. But as far as the research side goes, it's like me and whatever Flacco Bayo feeds me for the New York guys. I talk to with him, right? And then so somebody like you comes along. What happened? You go, yo, set, check out my Brooklyn Zoo mixtape thing. I think that, and then I'm like, yeah, let's do an interview. You're a lot more likely to get that, be to listen to it at this point for that. Mm-hmm. But then if I Google people, it's like. Yo, there's nothing, right? Like, what do you find yeah. on people? That's kind of like, wow, what we're trying to like even do is go through your life and learn about it. Like now, people are gonna know that Precious Gorgeous spent over a decade working on comic books and shit. Yeah, which is kind of important for the people who want to learn more about Precious Gorgeous and learn all the things about who he is, as if this is your Wikipedia page. So a lot of that's why I start at the very beginning. And if it takes a while, that's cool. What you did between zero and 12 is just as interesting as what you did between whatever other age and whatever other age. Word, word, amen. I'm, I'm super into that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's like, I want to say comic books are my way that 10 or 12 years was really my way into art, into learning, walking my way into art, which is, you know, I'm a first generation Haitian American not to say that Haiti isn't full of artists, but um, my parents didn't have anything to do with the arts. Mm. So, you know, I didn't know any, and I'm from East New York, you know I mean? That's where I was born, I don't, East New York, Brooklyn. So that's where Mike Tyson is from and Sean Price is from and, and people like that. Like there's, if you don't know the arts, if you don't, if you're not born knowing an artist, you don't know the arts, you know what I mean? So I didn't know anything about the arts. Mm. Um, so comic books got me what's that? I like what you said there about not knowing the arts and the artists what you said was way more eloquent that's why I said I liked what you said (laughs) I fucking failed (laughs) repeating it there but that was a cool idea it's a lot of like what we're we're trying to do is especially people from Montreal delving into hip hop it's in the same kind of way if you can't respect um, to do a show called The Classic Quest where we actually break down classic hip hop albums track by track wow. and run through them we, yeah we're doing eve or something next time like one of her first album rough riders presents for like it's so oh. yeah i go through history you gotta learn the shits and if you want to be part of the culture in my opinion so when you said that it resonated super heavy with me yeah i mean it's so interesting that that i i've had to do that later in life and i'm still doing it you know go back and I try to listen to a classic album, you know, every so often and try to learn. Because what's interesting to me is like that stuff was all around me my entire childhood. And I never had any thought that I was ever going to be a rapper. I just flat out ignored it. It's not like I'm going back and listening to records. And I'm like, oh, I heard this. I grew up around this, but I don't I don't know it. Um, That's super yeah. interesting still. Because in a sense, you look at your art today and your perception on things. <clears throat> and you weren't as ingratiated into it as some of the other people I've talked to. And I have been to have a, a weekly show now where I'm basically talking to people born in New York City. So mm. I can say that I've talked to a bunch of people who were the opposite. They were so ingratiated. They were dancing. They were watching the Tigers and stuff. And then they all end up going down their paths. And a lot of them, and it's all love, are very purist about their art form. 
Then you have a Precious Gorgeous, who was instead fucking around with comic books. and doing, I mean, we still haven't touched on what you were getting to at 12 years old. We'll get back to that. But you have Precious Gorgeous, who doesn't even fuck around with music till he's in his 20s, let's say, or whatever. It doesn't even become a folkies until later on in life. And your music is so versatile. Like, you know what your biggest flex on your Brooklyn Zoo project was? Mm. All his tracks sounded different, and you owned every style. You even did a modern trap song. Like a melodic trap song, but without the auto tune, which was pretty impressive. The way that you sway, you swagged it. You were just like dancing with the triplet flow the whole way through. Top notch. But the versatility, that doesn't come from somebody that's stuck in their ways. That comes from a different kind of mindset with it. So to me, I look for those kinds of patterns when I talk to people. That's why your youth is super important. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the. Uh... Gosh, I don't even know what else to, to say about it. I will say this is the one music thing I can think of, which I does figure later and become a big thing is uh, my grandmother um, used to live uh, uh, near where my school was. So I'd go to her, her building every day after school. She lives in like a, a big, not a nursing home, but it was like a complex where a bunch of old people live. And um, they would have every couple months, let's say maybe quarterly, they would have like a dance or something in their in their in their big auditorium or cafeteria and she would take me down there you know because it's happening she took me down there one time i was probably seven or eight and they're having the party and i don't know what came over me i just started <laughs> i just started dancing bro bro i started dancing like i was just killed and the people were just like laughing and clapping and giving me money and just like watching i knew I knew I was doing, I, I don't know what I was doing, but I was doing something. And I just started dancing. I just started dancing like crazy. And um, I never, and I did that a couple of times. I never really thought about it again until maybe college. And I went mm -hmm. to some dance party and something came over me. And then I just started dancing. I didn't remember until later that that, that same thing came over me. Mm. Um, and yeah, so... I don't know how many other rappers are like that where they can go to a party and just dance and like really be free. And to me, that's very central to what I do. I would and I say actually, um, there are a bunch, but not all. Um, there's definitely like, yeah, I think, I think what's interesting is the younger you go, the more you're going to find that, the more you're going to find people mm. dancing and being free. I still think it's fascinating with the, the, the way that you approach life really does remind me of youth. It really does. I feel like you're more in line with 17-year-olds than you think, which is fucking nifty because, you know, I get to talk to, like, that's what I'm, like, as I talk to more people, I'm seeing different perspectives, but I like your youthful spirit. Um, so let's go back to Buster Rhymes because you had brought him up for a quick second. You remember having a phone call and something about Buster Rhymes coming in, and I think I cut you off or something got distracted. So I don't know if you had more to elaborate on the schedule and that or any of no, that. No, really, it was just, it was just, that my friends were talking about it and I and I didn't know who it was. I had no idea. And this was, you know, probably ninety six when he was just starting to blow up. But I had I had no idea. And that struck me because I remember thinking, Oh, this is probably something I should know and I didn't mm. I had no idea. Of course now I know you know, lots about him, but um yeah, I had no no clue um at the time. And then uh yeah, I guess if we were, we go forward from there, or yeah, totally. So, um, 
you know, the next year, I think, or two years after that, maybe, I leave New York. Me and my mom and my sisters, we moved to um, Florida. So, you know, I'm growing up in New York. We moved to Florida. I lived, I'm there for like probably two years. And I come back at some point to spend the summer here in, in uh, spend the summer in Queens with my dad. And <clears throat> it's the summer that Get At Me Dog and Lauryn Hill's um, Lost Ones, which is my favorite hip hop song of all time. 99 or 98. And Hard Knock Life yeah, drops. All that drops drops at the same time. And I just remember hearing all of it on the radio and going like, what is this? As if I'd never heard it my whole life. Mm. You know? And things were kind of creeping in. Like, I maybe had like a, a Will Smith record and some Fuji's records, you know, as a Haitian, you gotta have them. And, um, and all that. So things were kind of creeping in. I think... Um, but those records, that whole summer, the records, I think Noriega's also Super Thug was out that year. What, 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 what? Just like all these records were coming out. And I just remember being like, yo, what is going on? And pretty much that fall, I started rapping. Like I started rapping right then. Like there isn't like a, a youth of like growing up and loving hip hop. It's just like, I love hip hop. I'm going to start, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a rapper right away. Yeah, so it's like, actually what, really similar to your comic book story. Yeah. It, I, the, um, one thing I can say is... The, uh, the one thing I can say about um, uh, my personality is it's probably obsessive. Like, the second I find out that I want to do something, I can do something, I'm immediately like, I'm going to learn every, everything about it right now. And so I just, like become obsessive immediately uh, um, it's definitely not yeah. a bad trait for an artist to be like if anything like uh, the level of effort you put in comes through in your art the level of knowledge comes through with what you do and uh, it shows like you listen to a bunch of your shit and like yeah you got a lot of talent to like showcase that level of obsession so it's totally it, even the willingness to go back to a classic album and like study it is is an important facet that I think a lot of people might claim they do when they bump their shit, but they're bumping. They're not really listening. Mm. I mean, yeah, I I can't even I don't know how to characterize it, but I do know that that was the case. That like uh, I was I was thinking about there's a there's a scene in a there's a Woody Allen movie that I like called Sweet and Lowdown. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's kind of obscure. But uh, Sean Penn in it plays the second greatest jazz guitarist in the world. And he's like a schemer and a scammer as well. And this is like, you know, maybe 1900. So, or, or, or 1920s or something. So, there's a scene where he's supposed to like join a local talent show to try to win the prize money just to get some cash in his pocket. So he and his buddies like sneak. They don't know his face. They don't know who he's a major recording artist, but they never seen his face. They don't know what he looks like. So he joins a talent competition and he's like, "Yeah, just play good enough to win." So he, they call him up and he's like, "All right, here's this guy. He has a fake name for the talent competition. Here's this guy." And he gets up and, and right before he starts playing, you see him and then it cuts and he and his friend are running over a hill, and you see all the townspeople running after them like, "Get them! Get them! Stop them!" Blah blah and uh. <laughs> And 
then you cut to another scene where the, he and his buddies are like they finally safe and outrun everyone and they're at a campfire and um the guy says to Sean Penn's character, next time when you enter an amateur night, don't play so good. And then Sean Penn's character goes, I don't remember the songs if I don't play them well. And and I always related to that. Like, to me, if I'm not trying to like be the best and learn everything about the thing, it's not fun. I don't know how, I don't know what's, you know what I mean? It's, it's not even like trying to be better than anyone else. It's like, I want to do this as well as I possibly can, so I have to know everything about it. No, I, do, I do know what you mean, though. <clears throat> Maybe not everyone does, because sometimes I make fun of the use of not me, but in this case, I'm like, I actually do get that. Like, I, I take on Impulsive Quest. Like, Ty Lopez said reading 60 books in a year is what CEO do, CEOs do. And um, I said, fuck that, I'm going to read 60. It took three years. It was not an immediate uh, thing, but I pulled it off last year. 60 physical books. I don't wow. know that I can do it again with my current life. Like, I'm going to be real. It was hard. But it was impulsive, just like that. If, like, CEOs can do it and they make that kind of money, I should probably try figure yeah. out how to develop. Then, it really, it's because it's a practice and discipline is what it boils down to. So, you know, it ends up teaching them habits and shit to force your time management skills to allow for it, which are things CEOs are really good at. I'm like, okay, I see the correlation here, right? Like, so for me, it was like, I, I get what you're saying, but it's also a matter of mastery. In that moment, do you choose to read fiction or nonfiction? And I'm like, well, fuck that. We're reading nonfiction. I'm not going to waste the time. I'm going to make sure to use this time properly and like mm. optimize that shit and treat my brain like it's fucking a muscle and, and talk, you know? So I feel like as you're saying that, you just take your art seriously. You take your passion seriously. That's what I'm hearing is you take your shit seriously in a way maybe – other people don't understand it. I don't know. But, like, if you go read any self-help book and any course on excellence about how to achieve mastery, et cetera, et cetera, it's that. It's become obsessed with it and put the time and effort in the learn and practice. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of my youth was spent um, doing that. And I, I this is funny. I guess on this show, the first time, I, I don't know where that really came from. I don't know where that idea even came from, but I just know from comic books to rapping and to acting and then to even to comedy, which are the, the those are the things I do now. Like I, I'm an actor and I'm a comedian as well. And I, I also make music. Like uh, it doesn't, it didn't occur to me. I don't know. There's something in me that's always just like, you can be better. You can be the best. You can, you know, like there's like a Rocky music that's playing in me all the time. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. No, but that's a good thing, right? Like to me, it's what makes you super interesting. It's what makes you an inspiring character in the world, right? Like think about what he just said, everyone. We barely touched on shit in his life. Already, he spent twelve years on comics, showing he has dedication. All right, who has dedication at fucking twelve? Okay, like that's not a common trait at twelve years. I past that you move into like you said music which we're at that part of your story as we're we've literally just started that part of your story right so that's where we're at now we've got foreshadowing that you also do acting and comedy we we know that you have at least a youtube movie documentary life music video live show thing you're clearly innovative with we saw your skit with the fucking corona like evidently like you're a man that has a lot of talent you know, that's, like, useful. You're, you're stacked. You're ready for, like, the as-a-service economy is all I'm going to tell you. You're ready for the next decade. 
in a way that a lot of people aren't ready for the next decade, in my world of opinion, because like the world is turning into who's interesting more than anything else. Talent, talent takes you so far. It's who's interesting. Who do I actually want to support? Because who's not talented, you know? Mm. Man, I heard somebody say that a while ago. Like talent, talent is like a, a pretty girl. They're everywhere. Big you know what I mean? There's not, it's not that, it's not that, uh, not that big a deal. And yeah, I'm super, um, I'm super into that because I don't, I understand what people mean when they say it, and I understand like what it means but i don't it's not something i put much stock in i don't put more stock in it than i remember once i heard i watched an interview with malcolm gladwell when he did his book outliers which was a really important book for me big book and, man changed my life yeah yeah same and um oh changed my life i want to say it affirmed like a lot i had of like i, I had like felt. just started rapping and I read mm -hmm. it when I was like 25 and it, it taught me the 10,000 hours theory at a point mm -hmm. when I was just getting into like taking music more seriously in my life. Mm -hmm. So I can say it definitively taught me a lot about how yep. to approach practice and how to not worry about shit. Like I will just get better over time was yep. something that that book taught me early. That might be something that sometimes people don't know. Yeah. They, yeah. I don't think people know it. And I think, I think people use there's a double-sided sword to the idea of talent. It lets you hide in two ways. You can say you're talented, which gives you an excuse not to practice, or say you're not talented, which gives you an excuse not to try. Mm. You know. I think um, the problem with the idea of talent is it's one side of a coin that makes a great artist, and the other side is vision. Mm. And if you don't have vision, you okay. You can have a very powerful vision and like no talent and do better than somebody that has a lot of talent in their vision. Okay? Absolutely. I've always had a big vision. And so I've always been able to, I've had no talent in my opinion for a lot of the things I've done. I've done some absolute trash, but the vision's <laughs> always been in place. Yeah. Yeah. Vision is, is big, but also the thing about talent is when people talk about talent, they're talking about obvious things, but there might be things that are harder to see that are just as tangible and substantial that are, make all the difference as yeah. well. I think you know you're tapping mean? into preferences now. When people then sometimes often go with talented, they go with in regards to their subjective experience. My yep. girlfriend has studied a lot of classic hip hop. Do you know who her favorite rapper is? Who? Iggy Azalea. <laughs> how the fuck do yeah. you argue with pre that? There's no logic. If you studied all the greats, how do you end up at, oh, because Iggy Azalea makes hoe music and she likes it. Yeah, also we tend to identify with somebody who kind of looks like us. You know what I mean? They Find me another us. white girl rapper that famous. She's yeah. she's the Eminem to a lot of ladies, and I know it's a weird thing to state, but I had that epiphany lately. That like, who else is there? Yeah. There's technically Lady Sovereign if you caught that one single back in the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's not that. That's very true. There's not that many white girl rappers that I know. Shout out! Shout out to Annie. Are you okay? Shout out Anna Diorio. Uh, who's on my record? Yo, she was so good. We heard her and we're like, who the fuck is she? Yeah, she's somebody to check out for sure. Um, but yeah, there's not Iggy that. Iggy also not made that. the Clueless music video. She made white girl music <laughs> for white girls. The way that yeah. Eminem made white boy music for white boys. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, and that's, that's what you do. And like, 
you know, because that's one of the ways that people look at, at you and identify themselves with you. And they go, oh, I'm like that, too. I'm, if they can do it, I can do it, you know, and, and it helps you relate more. And, you know, they they come from where you come from, and especially if they lean into it. So I, I don't – I wouldn't blame her for that, you know, just because somebody is someone's favorite doesn't mean they can't really appreciate yeah, she she can talk to you about organized confusion in any class at any day of the week. Well, not any. Right. Wow. But it's listening to the night. Iggy, yeah. But like Iggy does this shit where it makes her wanna do some white girl dance, and I don't know what else to say. She likes it, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you wanna talk about, so people like to be critics, but I'm a reviewer. I'm all about a rev- so the difference is, a critic is about the quality of the art. Honestly, I don't give a shit. Um, I'm more interested in identifying the target audience and who should listen to the art, which is what reviewers are supposed to do. I actually looked this up recently. I'm not hating on Iggy. The new classic is a surprisingly good album if anyone listens to it with an objective mind and stops like, you know, like T.I. is an excellent writer. Come on. Like, he, he wrote, you know, just, I'm saying it. Like, yeah. you know, fuck that album up. <clears throat> People might be like, oh, Iggy, whatever, man. She's not terrible. Go look at her mixtapes. It wasn't all garbage. Like, she had game. She has flow. Yeah. But that's like yeah. saying Cardi's trash. Like, yo, can you? Cardi has flow. I love Cardi. I love her. <laughs> yo, I, I, love, I love that she exists. That macaroni in a pot. That's a, like, that's a great line. Okay? <laughs> I never thought about it until she said it. And then I heard macaroni spinning in a pot. And I'm like, oh. That is some like that up, you know? Yeah. It's also, there's a weird, like, this weird sepia-toned, militaristic view of what hip-hop is. Hip-hop is about lyricism, right. speaking a message to the, like, you did what something you... that hasn't happened yet on the show. So you gotta, oh, yeah. you gotta take a, you, you just got a big win. What the fuck okay. is sepia-toned? That isn't like, I don't know it because it's slang. That's, I don't know it because that's some literacy, that's some, like, big word shit. Oh, I mean, it's just like whenever you see footage, nostalgic footage in a movie, it's usually sepia toned. You know, mm. it's 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 a uh, it's they color it kind of brown. You know, it's meant to look old, like old footage, and so that's what people, especially old heads, do. I feel like to hip hop, they make it this, they put it in a museum, mm. so it's not exciting. It's just like no, the lyricism supposed to tell you about the history and the past and. It's like, man, let white girl rap about her clueless. Serious question, please. If that's the case, how is Red Man and Method Man's Black Oda Classic? Because we did an album review for that recent, recent, and I swear it's as vapid as you've ever seen music can be. In fact, I'm sure it's not a classic. Um, a classic. And that's not too. I feel like I'm gonna get punched in the face. That shit's a I classic, love, my guy. Well, at least for me, I and love, Well, here's the thing. It's a classic because we love. Method Man and Red Man. We love How High. We love their friendship, and we love that they're together. And the fact that they made an album, and they had three, at least three great singles, right? They had The Rockwalla. They oh, had... Yo, but let's you... look at The Rockwalla. Can we stop for two? I actually had to cut this shit. Yeah. The Rockwalla is a prediction of, of all the future pop music. It is a two-minute track with short oh, yeah. verses that basically oh, yeah. say nothing, and Lil Yachty may as well spit it. And people might get mad at me. But what happened was, is we did that album review, and it is a classic. You know why? Because you can put that shit on beginning to end, and it vibes and bangs the whole way through. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a great, a, it's still to this day one of my favorite hip-hop songs. That's what, no, no, but the whole album, 
is a, I listen to it. Re, yo, it is not intellectual at all, but it's still a classic to me. It is just oh. a well-written, fun album that I can enjoy listening to because the rhyming and the flows and the way they come at it is just so dope and so great and so fun that when you do break it down, you're like, yo, they literally say the same thing on every fucking track. But I don't what? care because it's fun yeah. and it has a vibe and it feels like you go out for the night and then it comes down and you're over. And I'm like, that's just great. And then, yeah, that's perfect. But then I had looked up Lil Yachty lyrics because it came up in a Facebook thread. Uh, they're like, I challenge you to justify any Lil Yachty lyrics. So I swear I grabbed yeah. the first fucking one and I swear I picked his shit and I'm like, that's a red man lyric about big balls if I've ever seen one. So it showed to me that Lil Yachty was actually listening to shit like red man and incorporating oh. his humor into his fucking raps. And now yeah. people are judging him for employing the humor styles of classic 90s rappers. Well, I got to tell you, I got a lot of... First of all, this idea that music has to be intellectual in any way to be valuable. Like, to me, music is the opposite of intellect. That, like, music... Jay-Z says it all the time. M music is about emotion. He says it all the time. What is intellectual about Miles Davis? About what he's saying? There's no words. What is intellectual about Mozart? God. There's no words. So why, because we add words now, do we all of a sudden have to be uh, fucking, you know, Einstein in order for the song to be valuable? The, they're on there. To, you're, there's only a couple things to sing about. Your money, your mama, your girlfriend, your job, your, you know what I mean? You feel bad. You feel happy. There's not that much to sing about. Like, why does it have to be intellectual? If you make me feel something where I need to play the song again after three minutes, that's it. Yeah. You just described how most people see music, but we are artists. We mm -hmm. have to always remember, you and I, that we barely talk to fans. We mm. just talk to artists. Mm. Artists are not fans, they don't see yeah. it the same. And I've asked, <laughs> so these are all realizations I've had over the last little couple of years because I had this old man hater shit going on as my 30s kicked in and I, I stopped being young. And I started, I, yo, I used to be everything that we're kind of talking about now on the other end of the spectrum. I used to be the guy that was like, fuck Lil Wayne, he's the worst, fuck Drake, this. I was like straight up a hater, my guy. Mm -hmm. Fuck Amigos, straight up a hater. Now I'm yeah. like, bad and bougie. Cooking on top of the Yeah, pizza. man. <laughs> Savage with this. great. And you know what happened, though? It's because I lost weight and I cared more about dancing and my relationship with music actually changed the second I started caring more about dancing. And I know it's crazy, but that one no, little thing crazy. changed not everything crazy. about my person. I started caring about the live show. I started studying live shows and I thought, yo, girls go where the dancing is. Why is Waka Flocka selling out stadiums and making it look fun? You know, like, yo, if you want to talk about a guy who looks like you still want to go to his show, it's fucking Waka Flocka Glenn. He might not even rap a bar, but he'll make a bunch of noises and jump around, and you're going to have so much fun. Yes. That's all that matters. <laughs> and That's all that matters to me. There like. was one other side, though, that happened on my studio, my more studious part of the journey. Um, go back to a the 80s. Let's talk about classic hip-hop. Let's talk about the real hip-hop. Let's bring it to 79. What's it about? Shaking booties and fucking dancing and shit. Yes. Yeah. So and all I hate that. This kind of cereal and <laughs> it's nothing. I like basketball. 
basketballs. You know what I mean? There's, there's, what are they talking about when they say back to the real? What? Mm. The man has a song called Basketball. What are we talking about? Picking boogers and you know what I mean? What are we talking about? The stuff either makes you feel something or it doesn't. Everything else is just for people's own ego. It's not. What? I love it. Yo, man. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. I feel like there is this general meta conversation in my life, which is why I feel like indulging this is lovely for me. I feel like I would love to have this chat with other people, but it would be frustrating. So it's fun to have it with you because it's not. I think that you're a lot more in tune with what people want than um, what artists want. And that's something mm. I had to learn as an artist is that what my girlfriend kept telling me, I don't like your music because I can't dance to it. I don't like your music because it's not fun. It's not that you're not talented. I don't want to listen to your music. And then, you know, if you could be like, she's fuck with my music, which you do. Or after a while, you can go, why don't I make some shit she can shake her ass to? You know, like you mm. could just mm. do that and then throw a read a book bar in the middle or something. I mean, I don't even look at it as, I think, uh, what was I going to say? There's a couple lines in hip hop that I think kind of did a disservice to rappers. One of them was Jay-Z's, I, uh, I dumbed down for my audience to double my dollars. Because the idea of dumbing down, I think is just like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't fuck with that shit. I don't fuck with that either. Because it's like, oh, there's a compromise, or I'm gonna come down to the stupid people's level. It's like, no, you've got to figure out how to talk to people who are not where you are. They're somewhere else, living their life, doing something else. So how do you meet them? So I actually think. So I got really inspired by Oscar Wilde's concept of brevity being the finesse of fine writing. Ooh, word up. So I think that was the thread that we interacted in for the first time. And what happened in my case, at least, is I realized that maybe it is about simplifying without compromising the idea. And that's the true essence of writing and doing it right. Because what's the point in dropping some shit that like only I understand? It was the big thing mm -hmm. I had. I started doing clever things. And maybe people will find the Easter eggs I put in my music one day. But mm -hmm. maybe they won't. Maybe I was too good at doing some weird obscure shit that literally nobody's gonna care about mm. so i'm like what are my goals and i had to think about that and one of my goals is i actually want people to want to listen to my music yep that mattered to me more than uh being the best that changed i yep. didn't want to be number one anymore which meant simplification was more important than complication was the number one feedback i've ever heard you're too complicated you don't fit right. You do too complicated. So I'm like, okay. So I have to take complicated ideas and simplify. And if I can do that, I win. Absolutely. I mean, in the end, it has to be fun to listen to. I don't mm -hmm. think anything matters more than that. So when people are like, I, I, you know, you grew up with like, okay, you got to make a club song so that people can blah, blah. As, as if, and I always heard that from people who didn't dance, who, 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 who like, they didn't know how to make a record that was fun to listen to. And so they just looked down and they're like, I'll just rap worse over a beat that seems dancey. Like, what are you talking about? Do you think that's what Bombs Over Baghdad is? You think that's what, you know, um, 
I don't even know uh, uh, the, the the Rockwaller is like what what or even let's That's go really in a different awful. direction. Like yeah. let's take Eminem's Rap God and compare it to Dax's Rap God remix. Eminem's Rap God is actually a brilliant song. I didn't understand it, its brilliance at first, but the entire song is an homage to all the rap gods that inspired Eminem. Almost every bar, give or take, can be traced to a legend, making it a history lesson in six minutes of the hip-hop that inspired... You know who really got me caring about Pharrell Monch? Eminem mm. on Rap God. He got mm. me more excited about Big Pun. He got me more excited about so many names because of that one. So, And then I listened to the Dax version which was, I'm the best for like six minutes with Tricky Flowers. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, there's differences here. We can shit on Eminem a lot, but we do have to give Flower. I do shit on him a lot more these days. But like, I want to give Flowers where, where they're due. And when it came to Rap God, it, it really is the brilliance of giving Flowers to the legends that were the true Rap Gods while kind of taking the crown at the same time, which is very hip-hop of him actually in the culture and the spirit of, let's say, that yesteryear way of looking at it. Well, even today, it's still competitive. Uh, I mean, for me, I, I, I don't like that song. I'm, <laughs> I did not like that song at all. And I, mm. and the big reason I don't like that song was kind of Jay-Z-itis, I guess, which is when someone is so great that anything they do that's below the, the bar they set stinks, even if that would be a high bar for somebody else. Um, Eminem used to be one of our best songwriters. At some point, he got obsessed with being the most lyrical and rhyming every syllable and every line. He became obsessed with that. Uh, well, and I'll be, and I'll be so, honest with you. It's 20-year-old me's fault and a lot of people like me at that age mm -hmm. and our fandom of it. Because, yo, to me, Rap God was like the pinnacle. Like, yo, when that dropped, yo, I know the whole thing. I did it at fucking karaoke before. So like, yeah. Right, right, yeah, but, and that's fun. But here's the thing, um, I have this theory for youth where like you're young and you go into fast. So metal gets really popular, punk gets really popular, and underground fast trickety trickety Tech Nine gets popular. Tech Nine's demo hasn't changed. It didn't mm. change the whole time I've been into him. His his demo and therefore his sound did not evolve. Mm. Not to say that he's not like a great artist, because I know sometimes people get mad when I have harsh opinions. I go through this too every fucking time. Uh, but it's more like, yo, think about it from a marketing perspective. Who the fuck does energy drinks target? You know, mm -hmm. like energy drink ads aren't coming for fucking me. They know I drink fucking coffee. Folgers is targeting me. Mm -hmm. so, wow. So when you That's follow true. dollars, my guy, you see a lot about the marketing and things. And so Eminem. As much as he might want to make whatever art he wants, the people at Shady Records know that his target demo, for the most part, is still kind of like 18 to 26 on that edgy shit. That's what Side B was for. And it was actually brilliant this year because he made Side A for me, the older fan that wanted some real substance. Oh, the the, the music to be murdered by? Yeah. I'll be real honest with you. I, like, I, think, I don't think I even got through that record. Like the And I, there were some songs that I liked, but it was just like, to me, my favorite two records from Eminem in the last five years is the Kill Shot record and the record, record he did with Jonah Lucas. I like the Jonah one that much. I, I, for me, those are the best Eminem records. And the only mm -hmm. reason I say this is it's him over modern production sounding like he's having fun. 
So I have to go back to the Joiner shit because I was a big Joiner hater on some old man head shit for a long time because I think I'm misunderstood. Like but I think I misunderstood what he was trying to do and I put him in a bucket he didn't necessarily want to be in. And um, that was on me, perhaps, because I've seen him in interviews talking about how he don't give no fuck about being lyrical, right? And he's just trying to like do his thing. And I'm like, maybe I shouldn't care that much about what Joiner Luker's trying to do. Just let him do his thing. Um, and then yep. if I take off that lens and go listen to his music and I don't really care about all of the normal things I care about, it's probably it. Like I, I was like, oh, I like it more. And so like I find these hats like with precons because, yo, he put himself with logic and Eminem and shit. You know, you start thinking things about what he's supposed to be and shit. He positioned himself in his lane like you're on the Eminem album. Of course, I'm going to be thinking about you. Like, what are you saying, my guy? And then I wasn't so thrilled with what he's saying. But then he's like, <laughs> I want to be a pop star. And then I put my pop star hat on where I no longer give a fuck what you're saying. And I liked him more. Yeah. I, man. Um, I think this goes back to what we, we were talking about, which is like my first few exposures to music. Like, uh, you know, before I was into hip hop and, and, and I, was, I was one of these guys for sure. So yeah, this, oh, I should say this, like my first entry into hip hop, like, you know, I get in through like DMX and Jay-Z, but very quickly, because I'm obsessive, I start going to, I don't know if you remember this website, online hip hop lyrics archive. And like, I think I know what it is, but like, I don't remember it. It's what genius is now. It's just a database of all the lyrics, It's amazing. you know? all the rap lyrics. So I would just be on there reading lyrics, going to undergroundhiphop.com, doing text battles with other rappers. Oh, you did like the I'm... text battle shit? What, bro? No, we got to stop. Okay, because here's where we get into some interesting shit, right? You're not the first to say it, but you're like the second or third to even mention some shit like this. This is, we're talking early internet days, so people know 2002-ish, maybe that era, yep. somewhere around that. See, I'm like in grade eight and we don't have a computer at home. So you got to right. understand like, yo, I'm in uh, the school live lunch printing lyrics off those sites so that I could take them home after and like memorize yep. that shit. Cause yo, you think I'm writing down bone thugs in 2003, fuck that old cats had to do that. So I could get them on Google. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, tell us about text battles and all of this internet world, like take time and like delve into it. Cause this is some time capsule shit. We're not, everyone especially the youth are going to know anything about what you're talking about it was just uh you know these forums that you would go to or people who were rappers and they would be on there like battling and trying to do the best metaphors and punchlines and multis and it was you'd read it you just read it <laughs> you put down your paragraph this person there was brackets and tournaments and Man, I was so eager. I was I was sweating thinking about it all day at school. Oh shit, I'm gonna go and do my verse, blah blah. And uh yeah, man, you were just trying to just outwrap everybody with the most technical, tricky bars, you know. That's that's what I was into. And I was reading and listening to those people, AC alone and, oh. and 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 man, I was You're in the there. The first person I've talked to that even knows what an AC alone is since fucking one of my patrons. Okay, so somebody made me review because my patrons make me review stuff sometimes. So they made me review a book of human language, mm -hmm. which I found out after nobody's heard of. 
So mm. it was like, wow, this is one of the deepest, most complex and interesting soulful albums I've ever heard in my life. And like, nobody's heard it. Mm. Mm. I mean, I, I know like, I, and I can't, I don't want to say that I'm well versed in that shit. I read more of it than I heard because it was the internet back then. But if you were somebody who was on that level, I probably have read or listened to your lyrics. And I mean, from un, up and down, J Live and Binary Star and, you know, uh, Company Flow and all that. So you were world. like reading this shit independent of the music on some like scholarly shit. Yes. Like, vi- like obsessively for years. So this is more of like a poetry analysis in a sense, the way that you're approaching it. There, there is that, and like I did somehow in high school. It's very strange because I didn't get good grades, but I ended up in the uh, AP English class. So I'm also like analyzing poetry and literature and Shakespeare at at a certain point too. So that's coming into it as well. So like mm. I got all this stuff swirling around my head and just like oh poetry and symbolism and references and aphorism and. Uh, alliteration assonance and uh, you know i mean uh uh, uh personification all this bullshit plus reading ac alone and tribe lyrics and de la lyrics and 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 then also doing text battles i mean i'm just <laughs> i'm just like trying to be the best lyricist i can that, and that's all i Yo, care about but until- you got to think about like life right let's make some before and now comparisons and get like let's get extra good with this shit Kids today's mm. on some voice chat shit. They're all on that visual audio shit. I so lyricism becomes secondary. You, I am of that generation that's super texting, readings drilled into us, all the news, the blogging. You had to read like a, even the fucking RPGs. We're all reading, right? Like there was no fucking yep. voice actors in Morrowind. That's not how yep. the that was some Skyrim and Oblivion shit. That was <laughs> like, you know like so like. If you weren't there, reading was like a crucial part of the entire early internet. And if I guess if a lot of rappers of a certain age would have had to rely on internet marketing in some way or another to try to ingratiate into these communities, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a whole generation of people that are doing what you're doing in some way or another. For me, it was printing and memorizing the lyrics that's still in the vein. And maybe I wasn't doing text battles. I was still writing my shits. I was still consuming. It was all lyrics, lyrics, lyrics. That's what you did back then, you know? And maybe it's because the social media was MySpace and it was so text-driven. And even early Facebook is so text-driven. And everything's so text-driven. So the lyrics are a heavy emphasis of shit. But then comes Instagram. And now you got a whole people raised on this audio-visual world. And they're a lot more flowy and don't care as much about bars. I wonder if there's a connection there is all I'm saying. Because I never thought about that until you said what you just said now. I don't think so. I think we're just old. <laughs> I think we're just old. I don't think there's, I don't see this, this disparity and people not caring as much because, because Kendrick is very wordy. Mm. Drake is very word based. You know what I mean? Like Tara Wack, um, you know, like Meek Mill, I think is very, like, at least very visually descriptive. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, I, to go back to what you were saying before, I, my my new idea is that songs are songs, and songs have always been songs. We've always been song based. This idea that we were more lyrical back then, um, we were also 
it was also maybe a little bit colder and darker of an era, you know what I mean? But, you know, that's a crack era and it's more violent and America's more dark and we're going from Reagan to Bush. So, you know, that's there too, but it's like, I think everything is about songs. I just think that's a, that's what I was into at the time. That was my way to connect with hip hop at the time. Yeah, I really, I love all you're saying, by the way. Part of me is enjoying this because you're definitely making me think about things, you know, like this idea of songs being songs, what you said earlier, the emotions and the feeling. Jay-Z says it best. Honestly, from a business point of view, who the fuck knows better than Jay-Z, you know? I mean, it's, who's really doing that much better at a business level in music than Jay-Z, you know? And also, he, every rapper says he's their favorite rapper. So it's like, what, you know what I mean? It's not even just the art. It, it's not even just the music. It's also the art. But it's also you know? like the feelings of it. Yo, I used to hate on Jay-Z a little bit, but all those songs I hated on, I sing now. Mm. Yo, a lot of the shit, like, I just, yo, I thought, yo, can, then I went back to, like, Reasonable Doubt, and it's, like, everything anybody could ever want out of Jay-Z. He did it mm. on the first album. Mm. He had the trickety tricks and everything, my guy. It has all of it. <laughs> All the trickety tricks, yeah. Yo, he I'll was tell doing you that's... like fucking double time flows and weird Tech Nine shits all over that album. It's not all as all over in on Volume One, yeah, yeah. Super trickety trick. I, that's not even. That's not in my top five Jay Z albums. I'm not. Mm. I just reviewed it, so for me, it's like if I reviewed it, I know it. If I didn't review it, it's not in my memories. <laughs> what a great system you have to do a, a survey of the culture, to be able to just doing it to create content. Um, but yeah, like that record taught me how to rap and Illmatic. I feel like they really form the basis of what rap rapping is for me. But I'm really sick of hearing about those albums, Illmatic and Reasonable Doubt. I'm sick of hearing about them. I like, just think like the Illmatic story is cool, but you have to then talk about the next three albums. Yeah, yeah, which is what it was written. It's, I am. But what changes? You go from this pure street poet, which, look, I don't want to talk about like I was there, but as I understand it, therefore, what I've read slash heard is the sales were kind of bad on Illmatic. Oh, yeah. So oh, he yeah. convented Pablo Nascobar and <laughs> basically did what would be called problematic today, impersonating a gangster persona that you're not living the life of. And then uh, wrote a bunch of sh- now is Nas brilliant? Am I trying to take shots at him? No, but like, it is the shit that his ops were saying about him when you listen to Nas disses? Yeah. Um. Hold on, there's an alarm going. Uh, no worries, man. Yeah. I think. Um. So again, this is. I'm just wanting to frame it. Like I'm not trying to, because the internet's the internet. I'm not trying to play like I'm dissing Nas here. I'm just expressing that if you listen to what the ops is saying. And especially choosing Pablo Escobar as your role model, it's a weird choice for the guy who wrote Elmatic. Yeah, I mean, Queensbridge is the biggest projects in in America, from what I understand. So, you know, I, I feel like he probably grew up idolizing guys who idolized Pablo Escobar. And I'm not... Most of the time, I hear folk being like, well, they did this for money, or they did this for this. And I got to be honest with you, I'm someone who doesn't care about money. And a lot of times I look at those choices, and I'm like, well, I would have done that too. 
Like, mm. it's really fucking, like, I do, like, the most hip-hop album of all time. And then the next time you see me, I'm wearing a pink suit. And I'm in Miami. That shit is fucking dope. Oh, I love <laughs> That's it. That's the dopest, flyest shit ever. And you know you, what I mean? You can even defend Nas and go, dog, it's storytelling and fantasy. Shut the fuck up. See, internet? I knew what the counter-argument was. I was just waiting to see what Precious Gorgeous thought. I'm trying to be a provocative a little bit with my questions to get his <laughs> noggin going. But no, for real, it's storytelling and shit. I was like the middle class me would have gone down a different way, but I actually do see hip hop a lot is who the fuck cares? Like, yo, in metal, you can write about Vikings slashing heads off. These people are not Vikings and they don't slash heads off. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it is a, is a metaphor for, for something else too and it, to evoke our feeling and to, to gives you, it gives, it gives, you're telling a story and it gives that story a style and a texture you know what i mean to to bring it to bring it home more but, but the only I reason i use nas as the example is because the same people who praise it are the same people who would criticize him for that choice in my opinion absolutely absolutely and and Man, so I just uh, gained to contextualize why I use Nas for that purpose because yo, I love fucking Nas, man. Yo, that like fucking track on the next album of being a gun, I gave you power, is one of the most brilliant conceptual pieces ever. Done. Okay, Nas gets his flowers, he's brilliant. Yeah, he one of my favorite, my favorite Nas song of all time is Daughters. I don't know if you remember mm. that joke from like four or five years ago. I think I heard it, but like off the head, nah, for me, it's one like. When my yeah, that one was a beautiful track. Yeah, and uh, what album was that? Was that Stillmatic? That was Stillmatic. Stillmatic's a beautiful album. Oh my god, that was the first Nas album I got my hands on in high school, and I listened to it a whole bunch back in the CD player days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a and he was wearing the velour, the orange velour suit on that cover. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I, I mean, Nas is my top five. Easy. I love. I love. Uh, love Nas so much. Mm. No, that's dope, man. I love this conversation, by the way. This is everything I was hoping it would be. You know, sometimes they're super linear. Sometimes they're just abstract brain-picking experiences. But that's what makes you fucking special, is your brain is so wonderful. Well, well yours too, man. <laughs> I don't know. No, I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, compliments aren't fun, but, like, yo, if you watch Drink Champs, who's arguably the champs of this sphere in this moment. I was just watching it. Yeah. Does Nori not give flowers every like eight minutes? Nori is why it's so it's it's so funny how you were saying like you appreciate things now. And when I was a kid in that summer that I was talking about ninety eight when all the music was going crazy, Nori was popping that summer and I was like, This guy's whack, he can't rap, he's not a lyricist, blah blah and now dude, I I, I can't tell you how sad I would be if there's no Nori. Like musically and as a personality. You know what I mean? He he said uh he, he had a rhyme in a song I just heard recently. He said, who uh, who cares if your lyrics are better? My shit more dope when I put it together. <laughs> Yo, that oh, was like that I last one he just dropped. He just dropped a track like real recent and I heard it and it might even be that one. No, no, no. This is an older okay, track. Okay, okay. Heard, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard, I haven't listened to the new one yet, but yeah, it has a bunch of guests on it. Man. Yeah, yeah, man. I, I, I appreciate that he, he he loves the culture. He does what he does. He is. I love a rapper who just is who they are. Mm. Like this is the person I am. This is what it is. I'm this dude. You know what I mean? I that to me is that's the you know, it's like 
somebody who is lyrical to me is when I listen to them rap, I go, oh, that's who that guy is. Okay. I know I know what this guy's about. Lyrical is such a strange things. concept, though, man. I stopped saying it and recently, and it was because, yo, I don't just listen to rap. Are you mm-hmm. going to tell me that, like, Muss's fucking name from Montreal, the fucking guitarist dude, damn, I'm blanking. Um, fuck. Anyway, Mans is quoted, like, all the fucking time for, like, his lyrics. He writes some fucking brief-ass shit. Uh, all these great rock guys, like, eight words. They're basically mumble rap songs, okay? Like, they're mm-hmm. actually really, like, and I don't like the term mumble rap, but, um... I, I just don't know how else to put it in this moment. Because, mm-hmm. yo, to me, melodic trap is a lot nicer. Like, it's a lot nicer. Because, A, they're not mumbling. Yo, you listen to Lifestyles by like, Young Thug, and you, you just get past the filter in your mind, and it's like he's super clear. Like, you can actually make out the words he's saying. Anyway, um, yeah. all I have to say is, like, yo, why are the rock guys allowed to, like, write, like, 15 words, and it's considered fucking brilliant, but, like in rap that's an insult like to me that's a weird one bars it's like no but like i watched some kid in an interview on one of these people's i don't know which one it was but he was like yo sometimes these guys don't say anything they use all these syllables but when you think about what they're saying they're not saying anything i'm like yo that's actually a profound statement because through the album review quest we did touch a lot of underground lyrical guys as we'll call them and Ritz is the best example. Every single song Ritz has mentions like hoes and cocaine in some way. And I'm like, you don't really know this until you're doing lyrical reviews of his shit, which probably most people aren't or they don't care or they think it's dope or I don't know what the fuck it is. But I'm like, yo, how are you ever going to diss people about being repetitive, my guy? Like we have a joke when a Ritz feature shows up that it's going to mention it. Like it's a joke on my channel. (laughs) And his fans talk about cocaine, yeah. His fans yeah. hate it. Like every time they get mad at me, and I'm like, dude, we're literally regurgitating what the man says in his fucking songs as we understand it. You guys don't know about. And I'm like, I don't need to. That's what the song says. The song is about that. How is this guy dissing anybody for doing drugs and fucking hoes? Is all I'm trying to say. Like his oh, latest. Is that what his thing is? Well, he he does cocaine and ra- raps about hoes in a less positive way. He usually shames hoes. He, he does this thing where, like, I've seen him both praise it and shame it. I guess he's had weird relationships with girls. But his last song came out, and I checked it. I was curious. And guess what subjects came up on it in a negative, goofy comedy way? Cocaine and hoes. And I'm like, no fucking way, my guy. Like, you just, you can't be dissing kids for rapping about Xanax all the time and then rap about cocaine and weed all the time. You know, like, that's some, like, weird rules that people made. Like, yo, how is it cool for a Wiz Khalifa to make an entire career trying to be Snoop Dogg in regards to weed? But, like, Xanax, like, yo, I mean, personally, I agree with you. I smoke a shit ton of pot. I don't think it's harmful, and I think Xanax is harmful. But you're gonna tell 15 year olds there's a huge difference and expect them to really understand that? Like, that's some fucking dumbass mm. old man shit. So, how are you just, I don't know, maybe I'm just ranting now. I feel it's like I'm ranting a little bit. Anyway, these are the things I think about when I do these like album reviews, and I'm like, okay, like, so when I hear the lyrical shit, and I'm like, you guys are just repeating yourselves a lot. You're not necessarily, like, yo, give Tech Nine his props. He's able to come up with unique song concepts on every album. That's something that is pretty profound that he can do. A lot of repetition, but at least five or six of them are going to be completely fresh, like you've never heard it before, and it's impressive as fuck, that deep into his career. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But most of them don't do that. And but then you look at like a juice world and you know what? You can rap about heartbreak a thousand fucking times and I'm always going to be okay listening to heartbreak songs if I'm feeling heartbroken. Yep. And these are some shades that are very different than, you know, other things. Yeah, originality is, I mean, I, I'm not the first to say this, but originality is super overrated. It's like, just tell me who you are. If you want to be original, say the thing that only you could say. Mm. You know what I mean? What's the, the, what do you have on your mind? That that's you, but like I don't need you to do something nobody's ever done before. That's fucking. That's for children. That's ego shit. Who cares that nobody ever did it before? Am I gonna enjoy it? If I don't enjoy it, what's the point? I mean, here's you know? the. It's I like what you're saying, but Ismail popped up. It's a good bonus, but not necessary. So if you can be original, that's fresh. I'm not gonna lie, precious gorgeous. You bring shit. a lot of originality to the table, in my opinion, with how you think. Now, you might not be pursuing it, but in your efforts to be authentically you, you have created yeah. a profile that is super hard to replicate. Mm. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, that might be a byproduct of just trying to be, um, well, just be, just being who you are. I, I think my only point is like, in the end, that's all we really want to know. It's like, when you like somebody's music, you're just like, I like this person. And, and they're really good at telling me about who they are and what they think. You know what I mean? And that's all I really want. My guy, you're you're hitting it on the head. But we're in a transitionary phase of life. So you might not see the results of your thinking yet. But that's because the as-a-service economy is just picking up. Meaning people subscribing to you directly rather than buying your products. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So I'm on Twitch because Golden Jenny's here and ismail's here and these people subscribe to me in a literal financial way and it's fucking humbling my guy it is humbling to say that every single time so i'm not trying to showboat or, or gloat i'm actually just trying to explain what i mean by an as a service economy as long as i manage to continue to put out the content that they think is dope i didn't tailor it to them they just came across it and thought it was dope um ismail likes to give feedback i like his opinion i listen to some of it um and like we all like you know grow the main core community but they become clients in a sense i don't mean to go so corporate with it folk but they become your clients and then at that point it's like yo now i provide a service to these clients so it's as a service so if you stop if people not you in general but people are so focused on like album sales and merch sales and commodity sales i'm like yo let's be real man we're in a minimalist society where like nobody can afford shit well fuck a merch am i selling my guy I'm not, I mean, sure, if I can come up with some cool, innovative, useful, practical thing, I'm going to sell it as merch. But otherwise, I'm creating corporate waste is my honest feelings on merch right now. I know that's probably not what people are expecting, but I live with a fucking super eco-friendly girl. And she does make me consider a lot of my choices. Like, fuck plastic. Like, it's not involved in my shit or I'm not that interested. You know, like, glass is cool. I fuck around with glass items because at least, you know, you can reuse it. Um, but, like, yo, who needs another fucking shirt? You know, like, who really needs that in the world? So I think, like, a lot of the younger people also fuck with that type of shit. Because, yo, they're on YouTube watching that minimalism stuff. It's not us. I mean, you might. I mean, I know what it is because she does. But, like, I don't watch it. She watches it and tells me what I have to do. So I look at it like these youth are just absorbing that shit like sponges because the planet's dying and it is their problem. It's not as much my problem. Let's be real. Shit hits the fan when I'm on the tail end of life anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I know it's rude to say that, but it makes me more aware. I try and, and I care a lot more. I'm learning how to care more about the planet. Um, she, yo, it's all her. For real. Shout out Bonnie. She fucking really cares. She, she, she got this, like, I speak for the trees hoodie that she wears out in public with a mask to go with it. Because she wants you to know that she's for the trees, yo. And she's sincere as fuck, my guy. Mm. But, like, so you see that kind of shit. And I'm like, you know what? Most people care about that shit is the truth. So what? what's the value in a merch or more plastic fucking CDs? I saw somebody mm. posting about CD inserts. I'm like, yo, it's just a bunch of plastic to put into the world. I'm like, that's what I think about it. Like, now, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But how are kids going to perceive it? They're not even buying CDs. Maybe vinyls are cool. I fucks with vinyls, but a vinyl is like a collector's. You know, it's like, I don't know. So I just think about how the kids perceive the world. And, yo, they come across a guy like you, and you're just so cool. Like, I'm going to be real with you. You're cool. <laughs> yeah. You're probably the first person I would say that. But uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> yo, man, you're exactly the kind of... Yo, my best friend writes comic books. Why would I not think you're cool? Um, yeah, I'm built for that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm of that. Make I'm a made bunch of, of music that I thought was dope. Listen to a whole bunch of it. It's fucking fire. You're on point. You have concepts and you're in flow in the pocket. Blah, blah, blah. It's all fuck. You're sitting here dropping top level intellectualism with class. Like, what the fuck else could I want in a human? I appreciate it, man. Wow. That, that makes me feel good. That's, that's, that's kind. Yeah. I can't afford to lie right now. So that's all facts. <laughs> Thank you for, for saying that and for. for being so uh, thoughtful and so uh, having such acute attention to, to detail about everything as well. I'm supposed to in my current position in life. I might not be the best rapper, but I've built up a life that allows me to be a particularly distinct interviewer, probably through the combination of being a struggling MC mixed with album reviewer, mixed with uh, readaholic, mixed with talkaholic. Mm, mm. Oh, and I listen to my girlfriend, and I practiced that shit for years, so I learned how to listen properly. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah. Wow. I didn't want to fight with her. I was like, "How can we increase blowjobs and decrease arguments?" I swear to God, that's my metric of success. Mm. Damn, that's wise. I'm gonna steal that. It's a good one. I tell everybody that. I tell young people that. I'm like, yo, trust. If you think with that, you will avoid most arguments. Because mm. he's going to think for you. And he's smarter than you in that moment, believe it or not. Mm. Anyway, Absolutely. Let's go back to your life, though. Because you still have a whole bunch of interesting life to cover. I just need, we need to warm up. We had to get into it. You know, that was fucking fun. But let's go back to you. You're like a young MC. Uh, you start rapping. Let's talk about that. Are you a writer or are you a freestyler? Um, freestyling comes later. Right now, I'm probably, I'm probably a decent freestyler. Spent all my life dabbling in it, but mostly I'm, I'm a writer. I'm, I'm writing, 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 writing raps, writing raps, writing raps, making a little music with my friends. I sort of, you know, I'm part of a little group. I meet some other rappers in high school, and we're making little stuff. So I've been recording here and there since I was like 14, you know, and making little songs. Tell us Ironically, about that. How did you make uh, your little songs? 
my friend Jason Ward, who I started rapping with, he got a he got a PlayStation and MTV Music Generator. So that's how we made the first beats that we. That what we is used. that? It was just like a it was just like a, a PlayStation program that you could use to program beats. And um, he would make he would make beats on that, and then from that, we would um, make songs, and we probably put out like two maybe little CDs when we were in high school, and then I just kept rapping and kept writing songs, and other people were rapping around us a little bit, so we record a little bit of them. You're a PlayStation rapper. I'm a PlayStation rapper, bro. At least a teenager. That's some cool shit, my guy. Yeah. Never heard so, that one time in my life. That was like jaw dropping interesting. That's I mean, that's funny because I don't hear much people talking about it, but I don't know where where I would have been without that if we because we wouldn't we didn't know any other way to make beats then. That's that's probably before like Fruity Loops or anything like that. Dude, that's and very we, innovative. Yeah, we didn't have like a sample or anything. So yeah, we're making beats and it kinda helped me because early on he's making beats and asking me what I think. So early on, it's cultivating for me without me knowing it, a musical point of view. Yo, that's big. Yeah. Yo, that's interesting that you say it like that. Because something that comes up a lot in life, I think. Yo, what's up? Uh, we speak English good. Yo, hold up. I got to throw a shout out to them because they're fucking really cool. And they're interviewing me on Friday. So, yo, follow fucking we speak English good because, yo, they're interviewing me on Friday. Whoops, plugging. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do, my guy. But back to what's interesting. Um, <clears throat> back in the day, it was a lot of duos. So you'd have like a beat maker working or at least the in-house production working with a bunch of people. They would probably have more of that dynamic, you know, people in the room, ideas bouncing off of each other. And now we look at the economy of it now, and it's more like you crop a beat this. If you look at your Brooklyn Zoo, you definitely took advantage of choosing the beats from Brooklyn that you thought were fire. I learned that designer was from Brooklyn today. I didn't even know that. Wow. Okay. I looked up about a guy from a race car, race jockey guy from, yo, man, your album's fucked. We'll get to it. But I just have to give you your flowers. So in case people stop watching, they know there's a little teaser of how fucking smart you are with that shit. So like, anyway, I got a little distracted there. But you, so in that way of making an album super different though, because now you're not really asking opinions or whatever. You're just kind of shopping. It's not like an innovative, you're watching it improve kind of process. It changes the, the relationship. So what you touched on is super interesting because honestly, I've never really done the other version. I've always just gotten final beats and said, yo, I'm going to rap on that. So I don't know what it's like actually like to sit there with a person and have to make a beat in my face. I've literally never done it to this day. Man, that's how I came up. I came up with my homie making beats and like, you would have, you know, it, it made me like start to form an opinion on the music and on the beat and on the making of the song and blah, blah. Before I even ever was thinking, I'm still just like, cool, but I'm going to be the, I'm going to bar up on this. I'm going to be, I'm going to be very lyrical on this. But then I'm thinking, okay, can I write a hook? Can I blah, blah. Um, so that's all a high school and into, into, you know, coming out of high school. Um, I'm just making music with my homie and with some other people here and there. You're not just making music. You're also a comic book uh, guy at the same time. So already you're a teenage guy doing two pursuits at once, becoming more excellent, which is very worth pointing out just to add emphasis to your greatness. Word. Yeah. And I started acting my senior year. Okay. Tell us about um, that a bit. 
um, I take an improv class by accident. Never thought about acting a day in my life. The only thing I thought about was in my AP English class, a couple things happened. One was, uh, so in my AP English class, we, we're, we're reading some book and there's a villain in the book. I forget what book, maybe Scarlet Letter. And um, of which also I'd never read any of the books. I would just follow along in class. <laughs> I never actually read anything. But we're talking about one of these books and then the teacher talks about a Machiavelli, which is a fancy name for a villain. And then I had probably just watched Rocky for one of the first times earlier that week. And I remember thinking, oh, Apollo Creed is a Machiavelli. And then that made me go. <laughs> so now I realize that you can analyze film the same way you can analyze literature. That changes my whole life, right? So now I'm become obsessed with films and I'm reading review. That's another big thing about me. I, I'm a junkie for criticism. So I read music and film reviews constantly. I don't listen or watch right, let's anything. Pa let's pause. What are yes. your top five uh, movie and film reviews? I normally don't care about lists, but this one sounds nifty. I want to know who you think is interesting here. Reviewers or reviews? I can't name either. I don't have a list of either. Okay, just give a couple of reviewers and I guess a couple of... Reviewers is more interesting. Who should we There's think? There's a guy named Bardinelli that I used to like. I forget. Something Bardinelli who was great. I used to follow on, um, on uh, Rotten Tomatoes because he was one of their top reviewers. Um, and then, I don't know, I didn't really follow reviewers. I more followed, like, sources and publications, like The Source or Double okay. XL or okay. um, ma magazines that were more reputable or websites that were more reputable. Ooh. I would get, I would listen to reviews we from there. I just got a fan question that's related from the homeboy yes. Ismail. Did you watch uh, the reviews for validation of your opinion or to find differing, opi differing opinions? People ask this a lot, and... Basically, because people and sometimes people ask me, um, uh, you know, uh, oh, they'll change your opinion, or how would you listen to a review if you don't know your own opinion? Blah blah. I've read and listened to hundreds of reviews, and I'm often comparing the review of plays, albums, movies, you know what I mean? And so, I often compare what the reviewer thinks to what I think, and I found that it was very often that I mostly agree with the reviewer like 80%, which is a high enough ratio for me. 80% of the time I see the movie or I listen to the album and I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it. So I just started to just trust aggregates of reviews. So I may not trust one review, but I'll read five of them. And if all five say, this is just okay or it sucks, I'm not gonna listen to it. If all five reviews say, this is incredible, I'm gonna listen to it or watch it. If five reviews say it's incredible and or if two reviews say it's incredible and two reviews say it's whack, I'm gonna listen to it because they're polarized. That means something interesting is happening, you know? So really, I'm just, I'm just going to not get my time wasted and to commis sort of commiserate with them about what are the elements that they found interesting or not interesting. But I'm not going to necessarily get affirmed or not affirmed. It's just another critical mind. Mm. So it's interesting that you say it like that, because as you were saying that, Ismail is talking. And he goes, I hate when people say that they change their opinions because of Anthony Bantano. And I believe people watch reviews for validation. So here's where I'm going to have to come in and go with, you, sir, are not the majority.
That's why it's I interesting. I don't know that I believe that. I don't. Here's so, why I don't. So I don't think people read the reviews mostly. I think they look at the star oh, rating yeah. and make the snap judgment. But for people who consume review content, I know a lot about that audience. I've spent four years dealing with that world. Mm. And I can tell you that if you look at the current metagame of reviews, loving shit is all you have to do. Mm. Mm. Really? In terms of what? People go to reviews of classic hip-hop, new hip-hop, whatever, because they don't necessarily watch your review right away. We're in an era where there's two crowds. There's this Insta crowd that watches the review for the reasons you do to evaluate it. Most people watch this shit after they've consumed the product. Now sure. they're looking to agree or disagree on some bandwagon shit for the most part. That's mm. my experience. So I make two-hour fucking album reviews. I do not attract that world. But I also have a couple of shorter videos that currently get comments that tell me that trust. People are like, if you talk about Tom McDonald, you must love Tom McDonald, or you are going to deal with Tom McDonald stands. Or if you talk bad about Eminem, there's stands. Stands are who watches reviews. It's every group stands that watch review content. Now, I'm not saying that disrespectfully. I'm the stand watching review content. That's what made me a reviewer was this crazy 10-hour fucking series on Weezer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, shout out Raw Critic. That's the channel that really... And, and then I was watching these two-hour things from Rap Critic about albums I cared about. And if you have mm. like a nostalgic love for something or you're really feeling something, you're going to want to watch people love it with you. And that is the general vibe of the pop review sphere. Then you have the secondary sphere of people who want what it's supposed to be. That's not the majority. I respect that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not of that. I don't really care if someone loves it with me or not because I'm I'm uh I guess reviews are just for me who's a practitioner. I don't have time. I have a few years to become great at this. So I need to know what are the elements. Well, yes, but in my mind at the time, right? I'm 20 and I'm like, I gotta be the best rapper in the world in three years <laughs> and whatever, right? So I'm just like, what makes something great? And I, and I, it's, it's something else to, uh, about me is like, I, I'm a huge snob. So if something is not reviewed great or I don't get a, a sharp recommendation from somebody I know, I do not listen. Love I it. don't care. I don't care about you. I'm only listening to great albums of all genres. It's got to be super well-reviewed and or recommended, and then I'm going to pour over it. And then even then, I may not like it, but at least I'm going to hear, okay, this is what's important, or this is what resonated with this person, and I can study that technique. Like, I'm not a Biggie fan. I don't love Biggie, but I hear what people say about him, and I go, okay, I can see that. He was good at this technique. That might be something I want to learn, and I try to learn it from him. You know, it's sacrilege to say you don't love Biggie as a, as a Brooklynite, but, you know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to argue against that. It is sacrilege, according to the internet. Yeah, it's sacrilege. I get it. I get it. Was, so there's a lot of things, but that's what I mean about the world of reviews. Is There's these opinions. Anyway, so it's like, I, that's why you're interesting to me, is because you, you think so critically about stuff. But think about what you even just said, right? Your art comes off, in my opinion, with a high level of finesse not like bad like it's really beautifully delivered it's like shit where if you had stuff on spotify i would listen to you 
I have one album on Spotify. I, just that, it's, it's the movie you saw, yeah. But I like a lot of the other songs in a more listenable way than that album. That album was like, yo, it's dope. It's real mm-hmm. dope. I love the story arc. I like the whole feeling with the girlfriend thing as it evolves over time. It's really great. <laughs> yeah. It is more what I would appreciate than what I would bump. But you have some tracks yeah. on that other shit where I'm like, yo, I bumped that in a second. I just fucking ripped that and fucking bump it and repeat it. And you'd, you'd make way more money off of me if that was on Spotify, if you could put it there. Sure. I fully yeah. understand why some of those, well, I understand why the songs probably can't go on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> but I was sitting there going, damn, this shit's fucking good. Like, really good. Nice. Nah, nice. but like. Yeah. So definitely appreciate that. But you also consumed a lot of greatness. So if you're only going to listen to greatness and you're only inspired by greatness and you're only aspiring to achieve greatness and you don't want to be influenced by mediocrity, you're just in that camp of people that wants to make sure that your influences are pure. And there's a lot of artists that do that shit. You don't know how many people. Okay, it's not that many. I'd say like 12.5 percent, one in eight people has this like super fuck the rest of the world. I don't want to listen to anything except for whatever attitudes to music. And maybe like me, I'm the opposite. I want to hear everything, but I actually get where you're coming from because so many people actually are more on your side of the fence where you only want the best and the purest and the most interesting to inspire you because that helps you achieve greatness. I may, I, I may not be as into the purity, actually. I, I don't care where it comes from or how it's made as long as it's great. Okay. And like, um, like I'm definitely not a hip hop purist at all, and I avoid them. Um, I guess to music, me it's all music it's all, essence. I I was thinking more music essence. Yeah, music for sure. Yeah, like great. Yeah, the great music from wherever, great popular music, you know, from wherever I can get it. And um, and, and yeah, I think people always say you can learn from good stuff and bad stuff. I don't think so. And I, matter of fact, I think it's the opposite. I think it makes you worse. You can't get whack juice is hard to get off. I don't want it anywhere near me. If something's whack, get it away from me because I'm just afraid that it'll infect my brain and make me more whack. I don't want to be more whack. I only want to be more great. Only greatness near me. And it could be of any any genre. I don't even have to like it. But if I know this is the best version of this, I want to hear it. I want to know what that is. How was that made? What is that constructed of? What makes it stand? That's what I want to know. No, that's cool. And that's what I love about processes, right? This is where, yo, what up, Chris Chrome? Uh, Shout out Chris Chrome. He's going to edit this after and make sure we all look pretty. And by pretty, I mean he's going to cut out if there's like cops or like the internet cut ups and shit. Chris, there were internet cut ups and shit. And Chris says he popped in on some real wisdom. So shout out you because you were talking. That wasn't me. I'm not wisdom here. You're the wisdom. No, but like, yeah. yo, I love the fact that your attitude is like, fuck with what you fucks with, but you're also not saying, like, you're saying, like, go to the experts and see what they think is dope and learn what's dope about it Cause from a technique point of view because you're not a fan, and I don't mean this in a weird way, but sometimes people, like, like there's two spheres to this shit. Like, you're either in the game in some way, you, you've crossed that, like, line where now it's about, like, school and business and all these other words that don't matter if you're a fan. Where it's just about consumption habits. Like, I can't just listen to what I like. I also have to listen to Drake. <laughs> now I like Drake. Don't get me wrong. I have become a Drake fan. It took a very long time. But, like, mm-hmm. let's be real. That guy owned Billboard for a decade. If you mm-hmm. actually take music seriously... How are you not like at least listening to Drake 
to see what the fuck he's doing to own Billboard for a decade. Yep. Like, it doesn't matter if you want to fuck with the track more than once, but at least, you know, left foot slide, right? Like, that shit was garbage to me. But I, I saw, oh, he showed off his fucking house in a humble flex. Oh, okay, that's what Drake did there. I actually, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, you, you got to go watch it sometimes to see what the fuck he's actually doing sometimes. That song was garbage. But, yeah, I don't remember. Was that Tootsie Slide? Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't in love with that one. But the house is so good, and I just keep thinking about his house, and I'm like, he does have that house, and he can release a song that bad and still just flash his house and know that you're going to care because he has that house. I think that's part of his flex on that one. Sure. I, yeah, I, I, I can't say I'm totally with you because for me it's like, yeah, that's a song that didn't really work, but the ratio of Drake songs that work and don't work, let's say it's 50, it's it's every other song works. It's probably but higher. Like, it's probably like most songs actually work for Drake. Like, it's insane. Well, no, I'm not even talking about work for Drake, like making money. I'm talking about like, is this a great song or not? Mm. Like, to me, was this, and, and uh, okay. I don't know, I, I, I'll say this, like, I don't, I don't, I don't care about money. I don't care what works. And I definitely don't care what other people like. I don't care about to my whatever audience I have. I don't care about you or what you like. I don't care. I only care about what I love. If I love it, it's dope. I don't, it doesn't matter to me what you think. So if I'm talking about music, I only care about what actually moves my heart. So for me, Drake's got a lot of those songs that does that for me as a, as a fan. Yeah, like what I love. But I love that you, you know? can separate that, and that's I think what's really cool about you. Um, I think you just really hit it on. It's back to that separation of fan versus artist. You're still a fan, and I know for a long time I forgot what being a fan of music was. Mm. I was just in it. So recently I've been doing things like listening to Black Eyed Peas and LMFAO. And like, cause you know what? Say what you will. I don't know what the fuck else came out back then. I can't remember all the other shits. I remember that. And it makes me happy to listen to it. And I'm like, whoa, that's a big signal. Like, yo, I know other stuff came out, like Hobson that I was listening to a lot more. But I'd rather put on Party Rock Anthem. It's fun. It's so fun. I'll tell you right now, if somebody asked me what's my favorite, uh, well, I'm just going to say, my favorite hip-hop album of all time is Ooh on the TLC tip. Mm. That's the to me. That's the best hip hop album ever to come out because you feel you feel like you're living in a rainbow. It's so beautiful and fun and innocent. And uh, what is it? What is it? Left eye? Could it be that I'm a little too friendly, so to speak? Hypothetically, say I supply creativity to what others must see as a form of self hate. And it's just like those three girls is having the fucking time of their life you know what's bro cool? what's not to like my girlfriend really measures a lot of hip-hop on how fun it is so much that, of her uh, album grade is did it sound like they were buddies and, and which album any album if they sound like they're homies and they're yo she loves eric b and rakim and part of it is because the bromance they display on that album is so fucking mm-hmm. real i i think I think your girlfriend's rubric is the only rubric that matters. I agree. If, if it's not fun, then what is the point? Who cares how good it is if I don't feel good listening to it? 
Yo, it took me, honestly, though, my whole career up until, like, months ago to start to even acknowledge this is real, which is part of why I'm indulging this conversation so much, because it's, like, me still kind of adopting this new way of thinking. Every po Yo, listen, I dropped an album in 2020, and, like, it was dope to me, but, like, fuck, it made no sense. It was dark, morose, super, like, blabbity blabbity. I'm rapping about shit, literally, I don't care about now. And then when I listen to it, I'm like... Man, the next time I'm depressed, I'm going to throw this on. But now I'm not okay. depressed no more. I don't feel that fucking way. I feel happy. I like life. And then I realized yeah. maybe a lot of people like life. And we all yeah. spend so much time being unhappy. As Okay, let's be real. Artists tend to be kind of unhappy people because we live kind of weird lives that make us a little bit unhappy. And I think yeah. uh, we focus on those emotions and we forget about the loves and the joys as much. But like... Yo, you go talk to the average person and they like love songs. You know how you know? Love songs always do well. Look at R&B as a genre. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they always do well and they're always relatable. And they're always, even if they're breakup songs, they, the people who make them solve the design problem, they hmm. say, here's a fucking emotion, whatever it is, and I'm going to put it into a shape where you can digest it easily. And not only will you want to digest it easily, but you want to, come and digest it over and over and over and over you know uh, i think that's i mean if we to go back to my story right so i'm 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 rapping i'm i'm you know text battles i'm making music with my friends recording blah blah and uh yeah a couple of things happened to me i started acting I, the rocky machiavelli story and two other things happened to me one Talib Kweli's quality came out, and I really feel bad because I make Tal Talib Kweli is like the rapidy rapper that I always use as as the this is what I don't want to be. I love his podcast and I love what he does for the culture, but um, Talib Kweli's quality came out, and I was doing what I was doing with all rapidy rap records, playing it over and over and over, trying to absorb lyricism by osmosis, right? So I'm just listening to it over and over and over. And at the same time, Ja Rule's, I think Ja Rule's Put It On Me was out. Some Ja Rule song was out or something. And I don't like a lot of his songs. Uh, uh, I just don't. But there's a couple of songs like Put It On Me, Holla Holla, like all those songs I love, right? So I was riding around listening to this quality album trying to absorb lyricism. And then at some point it just dawned on me, like, this is homework. I'm listening to music for homework. I'm not listening to songs I enjoy. And after that, I just made a vow to myself, never listen to anything you don't really enjoy ever again. I don't care how good they're rapping. If you don't enjoy it, actually in your, and that, made, that makes you take inventory all the time of like, do I love this song or am I listening to it because it'll make me a better rapper? Um, you know what that may explain why so many young people fucks with like a cat like immortal techniques the way that they do and i fucks with him as a rapper don't get me wrong but i remember being like 19 copying the volume 3 album he did and it was like a straight history lesson but it was shit i'd never heard before mm -hmm. and he opened my eyes to a lot of things he got me considering modern slaveries and, and ideas and concepts and it, it was like yo he's the prophet like he how could i have never heard this before he's the rapper man and at mm. the time i don't know that there were that many people that i could buy the album of in hmv that i don't know if you guys have hmv whatever that like mm. you could like have that content and i'm sure there were but like he was the guy that was being spread around the youtubes and shit 
But at 20, I cared about that shit on some like, yo, motherfuckers is protesting every second week for some other shit already. Kind of rah, rah, rah vibes. So that album I own still. And I remember listening to it recently and going, but I already know a lot about these topics now in my 30s. And it was like a little bit. Yo, some of those, yo, lick shots, fucking, I don't care, that sounds fucking, it slaps, it sounds slaps, but like, <laughs> the rest of the album is like, history lesson time, and they're really great, well-constructed, like, everything about the technical proficiencies is perfect, but like, I don't know, I kind of feeling myself these days, I kind of like the Migos more at this point, not to say I like them more, but like, the Migos makes good feeling yourself music. I think great music is going to be music that doesn't sacrifice one for the other, even if it's for utility, mm. you know? Um, um, I was, this is a, a phrase I would think about all the time. I made it up, <laughs> but I think about it all the time. It's just a, it's just a, a, a remix of another phrase. In, in court, they say the burden of proof is on the state. In art, the burden of interest is on the artist, Ooh. not the artist. Your big facts, right? So if you're gonna feed me information, that shit better be really fun to take in, or really thrilling, or really compelling. You know, like um, one of my favorite songs of all time is a uh, Kairos one, Black Cup, Black Cup, Black Cup, Black Cup, because that's gonna go off. That's gonna ring off, and it's and I don't look at it as a trick. I just look at it as this this beat and the dynamics of this song really set off the harsh reality that you're getting, which is this mm. black cop wants to be so accepted by his slave master and his oppressor that he's going to oppress you. And that's, and there's an, there's an irony to that. And it's crazy. It's a crazy or, idea. So that's just to touch on something that uh, was brought up a little earlier. The last time we circled into this line was Ismail brought up dead Prez is um, bigger than hip hop or hip hop. Yep. Um, you know, that song bangs. I think it slaps so hard. It doesn't matter. And it's a reminder more than it's anything else. But it's a reminder of, you know, and it hits this whole fucking thing of like straight up just hitting you with political realism. That whole album, my guy, is like the perfect example of great music that speaks strongly. You do maybe need to be in a mood for it. But that's another part. I feel like you need to be in a mood for all music. I can't just listen to music personally. I need, I'm need. i in a mood, and I go, what mood am I in? And then I find the song mm-hmm. to suit that mood. And yo, mm-hmm. listen, it doesn't matter who you are. You're like this. Yo, my girlfriend has a bunch of playlists. If we're going to say that women rule the world in this music thing, she's got the hype vibe playlist, which is when she takes the bus, and then she's got the playlist for when she showers, and then she's got the playlist for chores, and you, uh, no, the chores one is also the bus. Anyway, the playlist have the songs that meet the moods for the, the things, and I think that's how f- regular people treat Spotify. Mm. I'm not regular mm. people. I don't count. Like, my fucking habits, dude, like, my shit doesn't count. Mm. It's not real. So you're right, man. Like, we got to think about the interesting part and then, you know, going back to, like, what they're interested in as as fans of this shit. Ah, this is such a great chat, my guy. You're fucking interesting. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't, yeah. I, 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 to me, this is super interesting. Trying to think about, and this is new for me, 
Well, so so the, the so the quality thing happened, right? And then that, that's the album that did it. I hate to say, yeah, that that's fair like, enough. I'm not doing homework anymore, or if I'm doing homework, it's going to be a different thing. Then a, a last and final thing happened that changed my life forever, which was Nora Jones won five Grammys, and at this point, I come from not caring about music at all to diving into very lyrical hip hop to going, okay, but I like these songs. These songs make me feel good. So I'm going to also listen to these songs or maybe more just listen to these songs. Then Nora Jones wins five Grammys and I go, what is that about? That's not hip hop. What is this? You know, and and it's some white lady. Nora Jones is, I think, half Indian or something. But some white lady won Grammys? Why? What What's so big about her? What's so great about her? So then I listen to the Nora Jones album and the first time I don't like it. But then I find myself thinking about it, and then I listen to it again. And then, no, I listen to it twice. I listen to it once. I'm like, I don't like this. Maybe I missed something. And I listen to it again. I don't really care about it. I put it away. Then I find myself thinking about it later, and I don't know why I'm thinking about it. Then I listen to it again. I'm like, I don't know about this. I I put it away. Then I go back and I like listen to it again, and I'm like, oh, I kind of like these two songs. And then I listen to it again, and then I'm like, holy shit, this whole record is beautiful. And I and it just opens my heart. The same thing happens to me probably with a John Mayer record. Um, and it just opens my whole heart up. And I'm like, oh, shit, I think. And then I it, it makes me realize, like, I have to learn about all this other shit. I didn't listen to any of this shit my whole life. And I got to know what this shit is. And the, I think the biggest thing was I listened to some Nora Jones songs. And I was thinking, I, there aren't almost any rap songs that make me feel like this. And there should be rap songs that make me feel like this. Later, I learned that there kind of were, you know, some artists were doing it. But for the most part, I was like, especially at that time, was this 2004, three? I'm like, you know, there there isn't other music making me feel like this. And that's coinciding with the advent of Kanye West and the the rise of Andre 3000. That's coinciding with Hey Ya. Hey Ya comes out around this time. Oh my gosh. That song, that song was so, like, I don't know how people remember how big that song really, really, that really song was. was. Everything, bro. Everything. Like, yeah. when your mom is singing that shit, that's how you know. That's, for me, the big gauge of that shit is um, when my mom, Nelly's Ride With Me was on the same level as Hey Ya, and there are not many songs I can think of that really hit my mom's sphere like that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's hey, I was everything. And the thing is, like, I remember people talking about like Love Below is not a hip hop album, it doesn't rap enough on it, which is bullshit. That's hip hey I is hip hop. That's hip hop. That's that's um something I would see the roots do later. That's spiritual sampling. Like you were the 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 arguable greatest rapper of all time went, I can make a Beatles song and made a great one. You know what I mean? That's spiritual sampling. That's what hip hop is. You know, um, Hey Ya is a great and 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 it's through his. Oh, understanding I had to of think about part. what the fuck you meant by spiritual sampling for a second. As in, you're not actually sampling. You're taking the essence of something and through your spirit channeling that into your music to create something new, as though you're the Beastie Boys on Paul's boutique. Absolutely, I love, love the it. Beastie Boys. Yeah. Yeah, that that is, and the thing that hip hop 
doesn't give itself enough credit for is we're especially the producers but all of us we're de facto musicologists because we're our our music is musicology our music is a is a history uh and an anthology of all the music that's come before it you are not that's the what first makes to say music that. you're not even yeah. the first and you're not the first from your part of the world to in your era to like come through and be like nah man if you look at it it's just taking everything that's made before it putting it together which kind of mixologist creating something new fucking love it you know what i was that guy at 15 who was like yo i'm all about speaker box big boy this but i couldn't sing for shit um i learned how to sing a little bit i learned how to sing good enough now that my engineer can make the record sound good and it won't be fake when i do it live um all of a sudden something like a love below is a very different experience when you're doing falsettos with andre Mm. yeah yeah or, or when you're not a rapper and you just want to enjoy music yeah you know what I mean? and um but but also what that says to me is like but also his rap songs are the best rap songs so He's how amazing. is that so, and like to me it's like well he knows how to structure a song he knows how to guide the listener through a song for the m- most emotional impact as does big boy you know what i mean and um uh, yeah, they're so yeah, good. I, 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 I love it. So that's what I discovered at that at that moment. I, and I, so I set myself on a quest then that I've been on since, which is like, okay, I've listened to a lot of hip hop. I still need to listen to more, but now I've got to go back and relearn every other popular genre of music so that I can apply that to, to hip hop. I got to figure out how to be that. You're making me remember why I started doing album reviews. I was even talking about how not as fun as it was for me to do album reviews at the very beginning of the stream before you came on, because lately it hasn't been, it's been complicated. You do a lot of work and you don't get any results for it, is the truth of album reviews. But then I remember it as I'm listening to you that what you're doing with this quest that you went on, it's why we called it the classic quest. It's that we digging through the crates to study. You know, and then we do it in public. And with that point of view, it's like, okay, there's value in pursuing this that maybe is different than numbers or fans or whatever. You know, like there's value in it, even if it's not even public. You know, there's just value in the quest. Yeah, That's cool, that, man. man. If I found something like that, you know, it's a thing I'm still on. Like right now, I've probably listened to 50 to 100 of the Rolling Stones 500, 500 greatest albums of all time. You know what I mean? So like if 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 I saw you had some of those albums on there before after I listened to them, I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna enjoy this with this guy on on, on here, you know? Um I feel that. No, I respect yeah. I respect that. I, I just, it's cool. Like I like this chat a lot. So let's say you're in the early two th- the thousands, you hear Andre three thousand and you hear all of this stuff, I guess you realize that music is significantly bigger than you or the, what your world has been. And then what happens to you? Also, are you um, acting at this time? Are you doing real acting stuff? So are you doing other things? What else is right happening? Right around this time, I'm getting ready. I'm trying to get into art school, which I eventually get into. And I go to Savannah College of Art and Design, and I go uh, to do a double major in sequential art and uh, theater acting, because it's the only school I know that teaches both. Um, I end up I do school. It's a great experience. I'm for the first time in my life. I'm surrounded by artists, which had never happened to me before. I was the only artist I knew, 
I'm surrounded by artists for four years. I'm just living a, like a bohemian artist lifestyle. Um, and then I moved directly back to Brooklyn and I just continue that life. Mm. So I just, that from, so that. Uh, Can you describe what you mean by bohemian lifestyle? Yeah, it's um, a lot is happening, but basically, you know, I, I'm living on my own. I'm living in a house and my friend, or I'm living in a dorm, whatever it is. I got a friend who designs video games. I got a friend who designs multiple friends who, who does animation. I got a friend who uh, is designs fibers. I got a friend who's a painter. I got a friend who's an animator. I got a friend who's a filmmaker. I got a friend who's an architect. I got a friend who's a dancer. I got a friend who's um, uh, 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 fucking ceramics. I got a friend who's studying fashion. You know what I mean? And, and hundreds of them. They're all around me. All that's around me all the time is the arts and people studying the arts and art shows and fashion shows and gallery openings and f- uh, film festivals and blah, blah, blah. And I'm studying. I'm studying acting and I'm studying blah, blah. I got other musicians around me. I'm, re- I'm making music. I'm meeting other musicians. I'm, I'm, I'm rapping the whole time. There's a local hip hop night that has battles, so I'm battling. I'm, 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 it's just <clears throat> other rappers around. I got nothing but art <clears throat> around me all the time, which is all I've wanted my whole life and didn't know it existed. Mm. All I wanted from seven years old. And at 19, it shows up, 18, 19, it shows up and I'm just immersed in it. And my, you know, I'm, I'm an adult. And so I'm, you know, discovering what life is through that. And I'm like, oh, this, this, the world that I always dreamed of existed. And here it is, and I'm in it. And uh, yeah, it's huge. It's a huge. It's a huge. Um, I don't want to say it's a culture shock, but it was just like, uh, you know, it it was like be, it was like I was born on the wrong planet, and I had dreams about my planet my whole life, mm. and, but like nobody ever talked about it. Nobody was like, I was like I was born on the wrong planet, and it was like, what are you talking about? My whole life. There's no sign of it. And then I land on that planet and I'm like, holy shit, I knew it. You know what I mean? You know, like the first time Killmonger saw Wakanda, that's what it was like. You know what I mean? No, I feel it. I I do. I relate to that a lot personally. This whole Twitch universe kind of feels a lot like that for me. Like, wow, the internet can be nice. (laughs) Like, whoa big culture shock support friendly people what the fuck i couldn't Uh, believe it it's like you're not used to that wow people actually like fucking with it whoa yeah you'd you'd kill on twitch by the way oh man i gotta give it a try i keep trying to yeah Uh, that's something i would would really like to talk about because i don't i don't uh now nah, we can talk about that after because there's still got a lot more story. You're not, you're only 19. Um, when do yeah. you go on a bicycle journey? Apparently you go on a bicycle journey and golden <laughs> Jenny would like to know about that. And she's in Norway. So, okay. You're getting love from um, Norway on that question. I, so I'm in, I'm at, uh, art school. And one of the things you hear about at art school here and there, you hear about a lot of bohemian things right now one of them is oh somebody took a bicycle tour so they just rode around the country on their bicycle and you're, you don't hear about that shit in east new york or even in southwest florida you don't hear about that shit well i went to high school in southwest florida right you don't hear about that shit but you hear about it in in art school in savannah georgia so i was like oh, I, that, that stuck in my head then i'm living in new york probably about three four years uh you know still doing the same stuff surrounded by artists in new york and um 
It must be crazy though, just to be an artist at that time in New York City. Like I'm in Montreal, you're in New York City. Your shit sounds cool just because you're in New York City. Oh yeah, and then that time, I mean, this is post 9-11 New York, so this is Williamsburg, Brooklyn, when it's Williamsburg, when it's the the art center of the world, really, when Williamsburg was the most important neighborhood in the world. Like, you know, people are moving, Heath Ledger lives there, where all this other shit, you know what I mean? It's art, it's new space invader and Banksy, insta, you know, pieces going up on the street every other month, you know what I mean? So I'm in Williamsburg, Brooklyn at this time. Um, not knowing, I didn't know I was going to Williamsburg. I thought I'm just moving back to Brooklyn because I'm an artist. I didn't know this is like the hottest neighborhood in, in the country, you know what I mean? So yeah, I'm there. So it's like an extension of art school at this point. Mm. Uh, I'm living there and one of my best friends um, in, in, in town, uh, my friend Tommy that I went to SCAD with, he was an illustrator. Um, he just suddenly passes away. Ooh. And, um, and I'm like left, we did everything together. You know, and we were struggling through New York together, both, you know, going to job interviews and sh shit together, trying to figure out how to make it. And um, so I'm in New York struggling. My homie just passed. I'm lost. And uh, I'm thinking about acting. I'm thinking about, you know, still want to prove myself as an actor. I want to do Shakespeare, maybe. I want to do something where I play multiple characters. I uh, uh, One of John Leguizamo's shows was out, and he, you know, he plays multiple characters in his shows. And I'm thinking about all this, and my friend's gone, and one day it just hits me. All at once, this idea just hits me. I'm going to travel around the country on my bicycle and perform Shakespeare on the street. The f Wow, Golden Jenny, good question. <laughs> so... Wow, oh, dude! <laughs> wow, you could just make a Twitch out of telling stories. Just save. Maybe you should save the juiciest shit. Maybe well, give me some of it. But like, fuck, just go on Twitch and talk about that for like two hours at a time. And you set <laughs> Are you kidding okay. me? You're golden. If you, if if you can help me with that, I would love to do that. So yeah. that's something I did. I did that for almost a year in 2012. Um, and then I ended up making a one-man show about it, and 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 uh, uh, one-man musical actually. I wrote some mm. some songs about it. Um, uh, so yeah, that's that's something I did in 2012. That was hugely hugely formative for me in so many many ways. All around, and did I went three quarters of the way around the United States? Yeah, and I performed Shakespeare, and I performed scenes. So I'm not just doing monologues. I'm I'm doing playing all the characters in a scene by myself. Look at did you have multiple costumes or masks or some shit to like or is it just more There's no costume. I'm just dressed how I'm dressed and so I've gotta I've gotta create the character using my body and my voice. And like okay, this guy's talking over here, then I move over here and I talk to this guy, and then I go back. You know? Like a crazy person. Nah, <laughs> and then dude, I've, that's I've gotta like, do it. That's like amazing. That's not like that's that's like some fucking Bukowski shit. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It was some artsy shit, and it was like the first. It was a big thing for me. Oh, hmm. it was formative for me. I don't know if hip hop taught me this or if I learned it in hip hop or both. But one of the big things I found was like, I understand that I'm doing Shakespeare, and I'm not going out here to just look crazy and have people not understand. So we built using the actual Shakespeare language. As a matter of fact, I was using Shakespeare. Actually, wrote in like old English, like the shit that we read. They actually like they actually like simplify it to make it closer to our English. So I'm doing it in like his actual English. 
So I know that the shit is complex. It's in meter. It's in it's in verse. It's hard to understand. But like Shakespeare is like you know really is the best playwright. So I'm like, how can we've got to build these scenes and my acting has got to be physical enough. So even if people don't understand every word, like in rap, they understand what the story is and what the feeling is. Mm. They should be able to follow me, even if they don't understand every word. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, so I built it that way. And I really, I, I remember I would ask people all the time, could you follow the story? And they're like, yeah, I know. I could see, okay, she likes him, but he's mad at her or whatever it is. Like I want, that was the important thing. Like I want, after I perform, I want you to feel like you were invested in the story. Yeah. You was that? asked for feedback after your performances? If I was talking to somebody, if somebody came up to me and talked to me, I would okay. be like, could you, you follow? Yeah. Um, Not open feedback, but very money, specific money feedback. Yeah, say that again. Just to be clear, because feedback's a very big term. I actually, like part of my day job is to deal with feedback. So I think about it vaguely. But the specific nature of the one thing you cared about, you asked for feedback on from the general audience. Did you follow the story? I would always ask. Um, I ask that in my raps too. When I, if I do a write a rap that has a story, because like it doesn't matter how good it is or how clever it is. if you can't follow it and you're not emotionally invested, it doesn't matter. So I've got to, I've got to solve the design problem to make that happen. So the same with the Shakespeare. And that was really important to me. I, I I knew that when I said I did Shakespeare, like people would be like, well, I don't know if I'm educated enough. And I that was fighting to crush that. Um, one of my spiritual mentors, because I never met him, was a man named Joe Papp, who was like a poor Jew from Brooklyn who created Shakespeare in the Park. And he was very committed. I'm doing the best Shakespeare that there is in America, the best American Shakespeare. And, and people who are housewives and mechanics or whatever, they're going to understand what's going on. They're going to be riveted by this. Said, I'm not even going to, they're not even going to put up Shakespeare in the park, but they're going to be like, they're going to be super fucking invested in it. And, uh, yo, you're dropping big yeah. knowledge nuggets. I don't even think you know how good you are at the things you're good at. <laughs> I say that cause I read your Facebook posts. It's some privileged knowledge. Maybe the audience doesn't know why I said that. So I just wanted to add that context, but you're dropping the shit that like is how major companies develop products mm. as in I can't go too deep in it, but one of my quarterly objectives at work is to work with my boss to pick the right questions to ask people. Mm. And here you are asking the one question. So I actually watched this video on Mr. Bean today. Yesterday, dude, huge Mr. Bean fan, fucking love Mr. Bean, yeah. But so's the world, apparently. As oh, in, yeah. who's not a Mr. Bean fan, actually? Right, no language barrier, it's all visual, exactly. And what he yeah. did to test it before he went and did the show is he came to Montreal and he did just for laughs. And he said, Let me perform in front of a French audience, to which they're like, The fuck. Uh, yo, shout out Carl Westwood with Fact Fiend because I'm stealing his video right now. Um, like this is basically whatever. But yo, he never made fun of anybody's true Ismail. But what happened was, is he made sure that the French audience could understand his act entirely on body language, like his lip quivers. And yo, I actually then went and watched the um, 
the thing he did at the 2012 Olympics, which is the last time he performed in character as Mr. Bean, and he opened the Olympics, and it's this whole thing, and it's just the way he's just like, and he's just playing the piano, and it's fucking goofy, and he's doing this whole act, and it's just, I'm like, there's nobody better at that shit than Mr. Bean. Yep. And so he ended up getting played and uh, picked up heavy by like airplane fucking whatever is for circulation on flights because people went apeshit. But he tested it on a French audience with mm. the intent of that universality. So I'm mm. like, yo, what you're saying is what I just heard somebody break down what Mr. Bean did. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess I'm super influenced by all that too. Like, and maybe it's like the way I happen to listen to music. Like I really, I get into trouble with like my own peer group because it seems the thing. It seems like I don't care about lyrics because I'm saying these kinds of things, and I actually do care about lyrics. But to me, the way I hear music is, I hear the song first, and then I, if I love it, I'm gonna listen to it over and over. And then when I listen to it over and over, I'm gonna be like, oh, did you hear what he said? Did you hear this line? But I'm not going to hear it the first time because I'm just listening to the song and how it makes me feel. You know oh, what I mean? I love that you said that because in reviewer land, I had to learn that about myself. I don't catch anything the first time I listen to a song. I don't, I can't even process it properly. Like there's just too many sounds and shit going on, you know? Like you So the hear, first you... time I hear a song, I don't actually hear anything like oh, that I'm supposed to be hearing because I'm too busy yep. feeling shit and like, yo, the dingalingaling is so fucking good. Dingalingaling. Yeah. Oh shit, there's supposed to be words here. I'm going to totally have to play this shit back because I'm not even paying yeah, attention clearly. no more. Dingalingalingaling. And then I have to listen to it like two, three times or I'm going to be a shit reviewer. Mm hmm. Yeah. All you're catching is the shape of it, right? All you're yeah. catching is the shape of the song. Yeah, then you're gonna go in and, and see all the little details on it, but like, yeah, but yeah, the first time I hear it, you know, shit, if I'm doing it right, I have to sleep on it, but I don't have good time management, so I often don't do it right like that. But I need, <laughs> but yo, honestly, you should sleep on it because you yeah. don't even, but yo, anyway, market is what it is. But if you sleep on it, you then you listen to it, you've like got it ingratiated into your memory already, the core structure of the song. So you're already expecting shit and you're able to even enjoy it more. So you almost trick your memory into liking it. Cause yo, you're, you don't even notice, but a lot of your enjoyment to shit is based on repetition. It's why you end up liking songs you goof on by accident. So often if you've ever yeah. done that, um, so like, unless you're really like critical about it, right? The more like you basically, if you sleep on it and it hits your memory, you're expecting it more kind of like you're a child and you want to see some shit because your know, kids love repetition right it's actually real innate in us and then uh you're able to enjoy things more and it's weird but like at a base psychology level it's the best way to approach something like a review we uh, i mean god you just gave me i have like seven things i want to say but just say one, all of them um one and and some like it's so funny like, uh, and it makes me, I'm a little jealous of it because I'm older than him, but that's one of the things Drake taught me. Drake taught me that the repetition is everything. I used to think, oh, if I say the same word over or whatever, then I'm not, I got to have a new bar, new rhyme every time. It's like, for who, who, for who? The repetition is what helps us, you know what I mean? Is what helps us remember it and love it. And, and each time you repeat something, it adds a different importance to it. And repetition is everything. And then also... Um, fuck. 
what was the other thing? Uh, oh, yeah, I tend not to goof on things for that reason because I know that if something is catchy to me, if I'm if I remember something or if something sounds really simple, it's probably because it's really good, at least in structure and in design. Maybe it's not the greatest song, but the structure and design is sound because it's 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 getting its hooks into me, mm. which is why it's called a hook. Sometimes, you know, what I mean, it's in me. It's putting itself in me, which is really just the song clearing the debris so you can take from it what, what you're supposed to take from it. If it's too complex or too much is going on that doesn't need to be there, you're you're focused on okay well now this changed oh this changed oh this changed and what's actually supposed to be getting in there is not getting in there because now you're Which focused is on where, like if you take an m&m on your eighth listen to the album it's amazing yeah depending on the album no, I, I, I mean here's the thing i i fucks with any one of them that I, you know i've so I reviewed almost all of his studio. I think I've done all of the main Ooh. studio albums now. Well, I clickbait. It is what it is. For a while, it was cool. And then I started getting too technical with it and too deep with it. And people were like, fuck off. It's kind of boring. But over a course of six hours, I can justify in or maybe four hours, whatever. Um, how, whatchamacallit, Relapse is possibly one of the best art projects ever created that nobody wants to listen to. Oh, I believe you. I absolutely you actually had to just listen to it critically that many times to see it. But, then, but who you know, was doing that? I did. <laughs> <laughs> just you, so I reckon he made for you, which is beautiful. Well, yeah, I didn't even Everything do it back really then. I did it me. now for the channel. Like, you know, like back then yeah. I was like, okay, there's like four songs on here I fuck with. Yeah. The, um, beautiful is beautiful. I can't do it because 90, 97 Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde exists. Mm. And that's one of the best rap songs ever made. That's you know a very I mean? good song. Like, I can't, I can't. Like, the guy used to be one of our best songwriters in hip hop. Role model, rock bottom, uh, 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 who knew? I never knew one. Knew who had a fan? Bro. No, that whole album is solid. Yo, even if you want to go on the album structure, with something that maybe a lot of people don't know that he did on Marshall Mathers LP, and he gave up the concept at a certain point, which was kind of weird, but at least the first 12 tracks have this dichotomy thing going on where each track kind of is a response to the last track, and it's fucking nifty how he did that shit. But people like might not notice it. He did it a little bit here and there throughout the rest of it. He like Here's an example of a modern dichotomy for people that might know it. Godzilla and darkness are actually like coins. So if you listen to Godzilla, he's getting drunk and wasted at the fucking casino and he's getting all raged up in his mind. And then he like blitzes out with the super fast part. And then he has the little fucking comedy skit and it flows into darkness where he's upstairs in the hotel room and the drug vibe and shit has changed. And it's later on in the drunk. Now, unless you're really looking for that shit in an Eminem album, you're probably not going to see that shit in Eminem album, but he actually does shit like that all over. Yeah, and that's great. And I, I think stuff like that is beautiful because I don't actually think... Here's something I just recently read and came across that I believe is true 100%, which is uh, Steve Jobs has a story that his, something his dad taught him, which is they were painting a fence... Uh, in their front yard and the dad was like all right we got to go through and do three coats on the back and steve jobs is like we did one coat on the back like why are we doing more it's the back of the fence 
Only our family's ever really going to see the back of the fence. Nobody's seen that from the street. Why are we painting the back of the fence? Nobody's going to know. And his dad goes, well, you'll know. Mm. You'll know. I That's like why that. we painted the back of the fence. So all his circuit boards are gorgeous. You can't open a, Ma- a Mac, especially back in those days. You can't open them. Only they can open them. Only they will ever know what's inside them. But, but he says, but we'll know. So he made everything beautiful. And so for Eminem, I think those concepts or whatever, those, you know, for, for nerds like us that are going to pour over it, we'll know it. But yeah. it being beautiful, those structures being beautiful, if nobody ever notices it, they're still going to notice it in the cohesion and the beauty of the album as a whole. Facts. And that's you know, why they fucks with that album. Yo, not necessarily the new one. I just gave that as a modern example. But that Marshall yeah. Mathers LP tape, up until about track 14, it's consistently that kind of back and forth vibe between the two tracks, almost like a series of dichotomies. And I thought that was one of the most interesting things that made that album brilliant. And then somewhere near the end when all the features show up and get you know, kind of gives up until Criminal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I love that album. I love Eminem show a lot too. That's oh, my day. favorite because I was like fucking 14 or 15 when it came out. And like at that time, I could get it and I was able to sneak that shit because I was in a no swearing house. So I memorized that motherfucker. Yeah, it's a beautiful record. I think it kind of stops after that. Uh, after that, it's not. But my dad's gone crazy. Square <sighs> dance business. I mean, he had life stuff happened to him that changed him forever. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, there's no, Eminem is one of the greatest rappers to ever walk the earth. And, and for me, rapper completely goes hand in hand with songwriter um, and lyricist. He's one of the greatest to ever do it, but he lost, he stopped valuing the part of him that we really loved because nobody, my belief is nobody knows why they like anything, especially civilians, mm. the people who don't regard the audience. They have no idea why they like something. I can give you a theory on this shit if you want to hear the theory. Please. Eminem was super offensive in like 2000 when literally there were like picket fence protests for like fuck being said in places, right? Like mm-hmm. he was actually part of the counterculture punching up for a lot of mm-hmm. that part of his career. Mm-hmm. Everything past that career, he's clearly been the 1%. Now he's punching down in ways. And, you know, his last album, what really bothered me is it felt like, yo, you're the gatekeeper. Why are you dissing? You're punching down is what it felt like. And to me, comedy and shit only works when you're punching up, as in authority figures above you in life. So when you're the guy, you got to be different with it. And I think that's what makes Jay-Z so fucking dignified is because he went from punching up to being the guy. Like, honestly, Eminem's worth nine figures. Like, it's hard for me to have empathy for him. I don't make anywhere near that money. I have to struggle in shit. Frankly, I don't care about Eminem's problems. I, I've i heard that theory before. That's where I, I'm at with it. But this is yeah. also maybe my feelings being projected. But I think a lot of people at a subconscious level don't like that shit. It's the argument I heard for Watch the Throne as well. But now everyone thinks Watch the Throne is a classic. So I don't know. I just think it's that he doesn't make great songs anymore. 
I don't think the songwriting is what it was. Like, what's the name of the girl who's always singing? Because I have people who like swear by his shit. Like, I have people who hit me up and live and die by his songs, right? Like, so I don't think they're great songs. But to some people, dude, I have to say they are great songs to a large audience of people enough that, like, I had people hitting me up weeks after that side B dropped to tell me to re-listen to it because I missed the brilliance. Yeah, I don't, I don't care about those people. Those people are just that they love Eminem. I'm talking about a song to me. To me, oh God, I have like all these rules that nobody cares about. But no, to me, I care about your rules, my guy. That's why you're here. Okay, to me, um, you're not great until um, you win the devotion of somebody who doesn't know, who doesn't. You, you're not great until you win the devotion of somebody who doesn't care what you are and doesn't give a shit about your art form. See, that's a good rule. You got to share your rules. That's cool. Okay. So when that happens, then, okay, then you're great. You know, so, you know, most of the people who love Jay-Z don't know shit about hip-hop and they don't want to and they shouldn't. You know what I mean? Most of the people who love DMX, most of the people who love Aaliyah, most of the people who love... Uh, even Mob Deep, most of the people who love um, Eminem, you know what I mean? They're just like, fuck, this song is cool. And yeah, that's all they should know. I, I, when I go to a restaurant and eat a meal, I'm not like, hmm, that's cu- cumin, paprika. I'm just like, oh, this was great. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm there for. I'm not a cook. I'm there to eat the food. Other cooks will be like, oh, yes, I see what he did. Great. I'm not one. And I don't want to be one. I have my own life. So for listeners, it's like they had their own fight. They're, she's a fucking nurse. This guy's a driving a bus. This guy's an engineer. This guy's a teacher. They have their own. They got a kid. They got a wife. They got an ex-wife. They got a sick parent. They got a, they get, they're on the, uh, the neighborhood watch. All this shit. They just want to hear the music and enjoy it. They don't care. So the song is there to make it as easy as possible for it to go in them. That's the one rubric. And then the other rubric is how much is going to rattle around inside them until the, that they can't let it go or that it's going to mean something to them or that it makes their life easier. That's the other part. So the one part is, do they want to take it in? And then when they take it in, how long does it live inside them? Um, so in a sense, it. to those people, Eminem is great. And to us, Eminem would not be great based on that rule book because yo, to some people, yo, there's at least two or three people I can tell you that they're not stands. They are just people who fucking don't give a shit what the words are it's the way he says these words that they love sure 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 yeah i mean i'm not saying those songs aren't interesting or fun to listen to and i could even be wrong but i just don't know that he of of that material that i've heard i don't know that he's made anything that's going to really live for 10 years like the original material and that's my that's the big thing I have is like, is this exciting and fun to listen to? Ooh, am I going to I care do about like it? what, okay, okay. Cause now we're talking timelessness upon which that's a very interesting factor to this conversation that I have not previously considered. How timeless do I consider murder to be music by side A? Cause I really like side A. I think it's my third favorite Eminem album. It's okay. a concept album of two parts. It's really well delivered. He's sonically all over there. Believe it or not, there are songs that I actually like, like still want right. to listen to. I couldn't get through it, but I, no, I but didn't give it a chance. To be fair, like, that's where it's like, why? Like, look, I know we're, I know the conversation we're having, and I know some people that don't like it. But, like, I'm not even saying that you can't enjoy it. I'm saying that in light of the fact that I feel how I feel, 
and how you feel how you feel based on our your rule book which honestly i fuck with your rule book and lindell watching on youtube fucks with your we actually had him say that's my rule book too my boy chris crumbs like this is interesting and people don't know about you know like it's interesting this is the real thoughts people have and shit right and you're great because you're being honest and it's fucking amazing to me like, I don't have to like Eminem to be your friend. That's also refreshing, too. You know, like, that's cool. <laughs> but I can like Eminem and still be your friend. As I love as, Eminem. To which, be, clear, which, love to be fair, like, yeah, he's, he's good. But, like, in the sense that if I'm fucking with it, I don't get the sense that you're going to hate me as long as I'm not trying to make you fuck with it. Sure. And I'm even open to the arguments in the other way. I could be missing something. I, 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 I'm, I'm always... You know, my friend Mandela Skia, who's part of the Black God Pantheon, which I'm part of as well, like, he he will constantly remind me he's the one who turned me on to Action Bronson. And it took me a long oh, he's time dope. to get into it. I agree. Yeah. It took me forever. It took me forever to, 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 to really let my guard. Like, I'm, I'm ashamed to this day that it took me a couple months to get into Kendrick Lamar. I didn't get it right away. I made fun of, I made fun of swimming pools at first. I didn't understand the irony in that song. When I first heard it, it was the first single I heard, and I grouped it in with the shit it was satirizing, and I made fun of it for a long time. And then one day, I, we did the section, uh, the Good Kid, Mad City review. And, like, I mean, I, by then, I'd know when it was whatever, or I listened to it, and I'm like, I know, you know, you just have these moments of, oh, my God, I was so fucking, they made fun of me <laughs> so hard after. Like, no wonder people didn't like me. I was such a fool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a brilliant, yeah! What a brilliant execution of that song. I forget about that song. Wow, I've used to do it on the karaoke too. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's been a, a lot of. I've up karaoke. I've you know, I love that you talk about karaoke. You know, here's the thing: hip hop mm -hmm. karaoke is this thing in Montreal. I know it exists other places, <laughs> but it's a thing in Montreal. Like it's like. Heard about it. So it's like all the karaoke you can think of, except pretend you're at a rap show and there's no lyrics. Oh wow. So I start doing this shit because I'm like in the game early, early. And like literally, dude, all the rappers I know are goofing on it. But I'm performing to like 250 people audiences without like tracks out practically. Just doing like DMX and shit. First track yep. I did was Ill Mind of Hobson 5. A five minute fucking wow. flex, right? I grabbed some guy's head. It was stupid, actually. In hindsight, I never grabbed a person's head after because that's a dumb thing to do. But like, <laughs> uh, but I, I practiced all this showmanship shit, doing karaoke songs. I went out and did Roll Up by Ludacris. I'm like, yo, we, we couldn't get a version with the roll out part on the hook, so I asked the crowd to hold me down, and they did. Dude, you never go back from that. Yeah. Once you experience it, you just never walk on stage and doubt again. You know the crowd will hold you down for the rest of your life. And then the crowd holds you down because they know you know it. But like if you're too busy in the bar doing an open mic to eight people, you might not get that shortcut hack experience on some ego shit. And I talk to a lot of rappers about this. Now I'll say the same shit, but I met Hannibal Barres and did DMX's party up in front of him. That's oh, yeah. Lydia. And then I did oh, I got to do yeah. like rap got it just for laughs on a big stage outside. So like awesome. Anyway, so I love that you brought up karaoke because like I karaoke professionally for seven years. You'll tell us about that for real, real. <laughs> I want to hear about this. Um, <clears throat> it was um, so it, uh, and I was a host, so I wasn't the DJ. There was a DJ at the company that I worked for, Kings of Karaoke. Shout out Kings of Karaoke. Um, I don't know if they exist anymore because of COVID, but um, 
basically I would, uh, in my adult life, the dancing that I told you about as a kid that came back big time when I got older. And a huge part of it was just trying to meet girls and grind on their booties, right? Dan- like dancing with girls is my way to get close to them. But I also, I fucking light <laughs> I up. I love it. Yeah, but I also fucking light up like a like a fucking uh, firefly when I dance. I just love fucking dancing. I don't know what it is. It makes me it t- it, it takes me to God, man. I love to dance and and, and I'm good at it. So um, so I'd go to karaoke because the karaoke they would do they had a host and a DJ and it becomes like a dance party, and uh, uh, and then I could sing songs and I can practice singing. I can practice being in front of people. So I did that. I did it for that and I started working for them. But the other thing I didn't realize was you spend seven years in a room with all kinds of people in Brooklyn or Manhattan or wherever you are, and you're listening to the songs, and they had a huge songbook, Kings of Karaoke. You're listening to the songs that people love. You're listening to the songs that move people, and you get to see firsthand how uh, uh, um, Like a Prayer moves by Madonna moves a room. Wow. You get to see how Let's Dance by David Bowie moves a room. You get to see how uh, uh, Desire, Desire, what is that? The, 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 uh, uh, Slipknot. You get to see how that song moves a room. You get to see how Roll Out by Ludacris moves a room. And you're here, you're absorbing the song System structure. System of a Down. It was, it was System a... of a Down. Okay. System of a Down or fucking Kate Bush or fucking Talking Heads or fucking Cardi B or fucking Negro. Zombie. Or fucking, you know, Zombie. Yes. Cranberries. You're, everything. Any any song you can think of, you're hearing it and you're watching it do what it does oh, to a room. karaoke so heavy, man. I love karaoke so much. It's, it's, yeah, man, it was like church. It was like church. You know, you, you, people are dancing together and singing together and the same people come back every week and, or new people show up. And so that was super, without me realizing it, incredibly formative. I was already, you know, in a mode where I'm actively trying to study music and I'm hearing all these songs that I don't really know that other people are, or songs I know or songs I don't know. That other people are, are loving and what makes them love it and and you also see over seven years you can see phases this song was really popular in these years and this song is really popular in these years. and i'm not just talking new songs i'm talking about songs that are 20 years old why does this song that's 20 years old really why is this song really popular in these two years but it's not popular here anymore why is this is how we do it really popular in 2013 and 14 and 15 but not really popular in 2018 what is that? You Yo, know, um, those are some serious trends to watch, my guy. I'm watching. I'm watching even the way the difference in how people dress. You know, jeans are getting tighter. Jeans are getting looser. More dresses, less dresses. More tattoos, less. That whatever it is, you're seeing everything because you're in nightlife in New York. No, but that uh, data analysis of pop song trends is probably more valuable as a commodity of understanding shit than a lot of people probably even know what you just described, man. Because, yo, that is literally, like, it. Karaoke is what regular people love. Mm-hmm. Yo, yo, mm-hmm. it's huge. And it's big everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, already as you're talking, I'm like, how the fuck can I do karaoke on Twitch? I don't care about the copyright shits. Fuck it. Let's roll. Let's see what we can do here. I'll bet that'll yeah. be my most user interactions ever if I can ever figure oh. out latency. But, if I can help with that, please let me. Because I fucking love karaoke, my friend. It's the type I of shit that's it. a lot easier if we're in the same room. Uh, with the anyway, that's an off-camera conversation. I can explain the tech yeah. side, but um, 
in general it's just like yo seriously we did a thing where i'm just like we'll review what you want it turned out people just want to like listen to the music they love with you and that's a hot move too and like yo like when people can share in music the thing about karaoke though is it like taps into like this base common denominator of shit we all know like you wanna you always want the crowd to sing with you when you do karaoke maybe Sometimes people are going to sing some obscure shit right. and clear the room, <laughs> too. And that's going to happen a lot, too. And, like, mm. the way the culture that I built in my room, first of all, I'm encouraging everybody to dance. So it's a fucking wild party every time, as much as I can make it. And the other thing is, like, I don't, you know, sometimes I think people slightly maybe nudge. Not really. My company, our culture wasn't like this. And I was extra this way. Like, sing what the fuck you want to sing. People would always ask me, what song should I sing? What's going to get the room hype? I don't know. Sing your favorite song. I don't, I only want you to sing what you love. Mm. That way we're going to have a divert. Even if it clears the room, good. It's going to clear the room and allow it to repopulate. Let's get some new blood in here. You know what I mean? Like, so, and, and I'm also going to, I'm going to get to hear this fucking weird, obscure, you know, Spanish song that you like, or this weird, obscure, you know, whatever it is. So not, so I'm getting I'm hearing it all, man. I'm hearing I'm hearing it all. Yo, um, I wanna go work in a karaoke place when this shit's done and I'm allowed out of my apartment at night. Um, yeah, dude. <clears throat> no, that's dope. Fuck that. I'm getting into the karaoke game when I'm done with this. It's too fucking fun. No, but that's it. Like it's supposed to be fun. I think that's like the big lesson of my life lately is everything's supposed to be funner than I made it for a long time. I think it's cool that that is like a core theme of your life. Like, yo, is it fun? Is it dope? Do I like it? Yeah, I like it. Let's fucking roll with it. <laughs> That's a fucking powerful way to be, man. Nobody's ever put it that way, and that is really true. And I appreciate you saying that because that, nah, you, really you put true. it that way. I'm just mm. all I do is regurgitate the shit people say to me and say it back to them. Let's thank you for catching that shit. Mm. Nah, but I mean, look at your life. Who did a bicycle ride around the country doing people-centric shit in all communities? Because, yo, your data set there. Yo, I'm also a marketing guy, right? So I'm just picturing this from a data perspective. Like, mm. a lot of the successful are people. And when I define success, I mean, you said at the beginning you're living off your art. Success, yeah. my guy. I live in corporate America. I've been told America's harsh corporate land and then I come do this on the side and trust I'm not really doing financially as well as you might be doing making money on art. <clears throat> so like I'm in that early phase of investment. Yo, but you put in way more time. I also look at life like that too. Like, yo, it's like a seven to 10 year game easy for most people to achieve a place of any kind of fiscals, right? Like, so I'm not like delusional about where I'm at. I'm approaching that threshold in my life. But it really, like, started in 2012 for me. So, like, hearing your journey and seeing that you're still so passionate about it and that you're still so with it and that you dropped, what, two projects easy, three projects recently, a lot of projects recently, you know? Four in the last, four and 18 months. But those are pretty much from all of my albums. But that's so still, but then yeah. you're also a comic book writing guy. You're also an acting guy. Like, I don't even know how much acting you've done over this period of time, but that has to be a complete part of your journey, too. I mean, on top of the Shakespeare, but, like, you don't just fucking go do Shakespeare around the world or around the USA on a bicycle, and that goes nowhere. <laughs> That's the kind of shit that stands the fuck out, my guy. Who does that? Brilliant people. 
who want to live life and do the things that people say that they don't, you know, like everyone could, not everyone, I'm going to be real, like your life has to work out in a way where you can take advantage of that shit. I don't want to come off like one of those motherfuckers, but yo, in all reality, you still pulled it off for yourself. You still did all the things. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I yeah, trying to take it for granted. It's like, uh, um, yeah. So far, I've been able to have a really good life, just like doing what I enjoy. In this last few years, it's come easier than it did in my twenties, um, and that's awesome. But also, my twenties were an awesome adventure too, or a dope adventure. Uh, so yeah, it's getting a little bit easier, which means that maybe I'll be able to output more and do more. Because yeah, it's still the, the thing that is true is I still feel like I'm only operating at like 20% capacity. I feel like I have a lot in me and I'm, it's not coming out. Uh, like, you know, like we haven't, we haven't gotten to this part of my career yet, which I guess is the latest part. But like, you know, I feel like my job is to learn the things that you know right now, which is like the marketing and the business side and how to sell it and how to make the money off of it. I think I, I feel like I spent I'm 36 now, so I spent 25 years learning. If Pharrell calls right now, I can go to the studio with him, and I don't need to be nervous. Mm-hmm. I know what to do. You know what I mean? I, I, I may not be as good as uh, Mystical, or maybe I am. I don't know. Um, but in terms of going, I think Mystical made some great records with Pharrell, right? So maybe I'm going to make a record as good as Mystical, maybe not. But like, if Pharrell calls today, I know what to do, you know, immediately. There's no hesitation. Oh, you have a beat? Let's do this. Um, but how to how to commodify that, how to make money on that, how to make that my job so I can do it when I want and how I want, uh, that, that part I'm just now learning. Honestly, though, you're doing decent with it, in my opinion. You are willing to put yourself out there into the internet sphere, right? You're here on the Zoom doing the interview. Boom, you're, you're moderning. You're doing the things. Other stuff, I don't know, man. It's hard to know what the right choices are. I can't tell you how exactly to win because I'm not winning like that. <clears throat> I can tell you how to journey in this direction in ways that I think make more sense than others only because, you know, I have studied a lot of shit. But the truth is you already inherently are built for this based on your ability to listen to feedback. Mm. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a good point. That's a big, that's a big deal. That's like, that's definitely the thing I teach. I, I teach acting and that's definitely the thing I teach my kids is I'm here to teach you how to be directable and nothing else. I'm not here to teach you how to cry on cue or all this other bullshit. If the director needs something from you, you got to be able to hear it and do it. That's, that's your job. Oof, that's kind of everyone's job in entertainment. <clears throat> like, listen, I have to be cautious as shit, you know? Like, I have to, I try hard, like, the beginning part of the interview to make it super you talking, but, like, I also have to talk or it's not really my show, right? Like, I have to be smart about these balances, but then in terms of topics is what do we do? Like, you know, where do we go with it? What's the most interesting shits? Like, what do, you know what people really fuck with, dude, is this marketing shit. I know, like, some people, like, don't fuck with it, but we get, like, a weirdly high interest in regular people struggling with marketing on the internet with me. Wow. Yeah, that's what I thought. 
I was like, what? We could just talk about, yo, that, look, think about it though. You were watching that Mickey Fax shit. He was spitting his game and you were eating it up. And I'm like, yo, I think yeah. most of, I talked to the 17 year old and I'm sitting there going, yo, tell me more about how to Instagram that dude. Because I think all of us inherently have this insecurity about social media and how to play these games. And it's really universal, but especially in all the creators that are doing it. There's an interesting idea that um, I think most people see something as a trick that I think is actually very practical. Like this is a cheat or this is a thing. Like um, people would be like, I think an example is like, you got to have a club song, which is what is a club song? A song that's fun to listen to and fun to dance to. And like, uh, promotes happiness and fun. Why would you not make music like that? I'll tell you why. Because for a long time in my life, I never would have been at a club. So it would have been so like, why am I, I'm never going to perform that shit. I'm never going to do that shit. I'm never in that vibe. So like, Are you going to be at a barbecue? Nah, not now maybe. But for me, dude, I'm talking like grungy ass punk shit is more of my shtees at that point. You want to come in with the raps and but I was where I was at for a minute. So invite, yo, does he, what, do you know what I leave in my note file for reviews? Uh, in, music is designed for the environment upon which it will be played live. <clears throat> That's true about classical music for mid-sized circular ceiling type shit. It doesn't sound good in certain venues on some acoustic shit. I actually could not tell you sonically what the fuck that means, but I read it in books. So I know it's some fact shit because of who wrote it and whatnot. Or like, yo, certain types of rock music are made for a bunch of kids on speed moshing out in certain types of venues hip-hop is actually more designed for small clubs and and smaller and shit it sounds like ass in stadiums a lot of the time unless you're really doing stadium shit yeah to me it's all about like like that so there are people that don't want that because they're never going to be there they're never going to perform their shit there and it really doesn't make sense and here's a great example battle rappers Mm. Mm-hmm. My Even dream at is the to... barbecue, they're gonna be spitting bars in the corner in the cipher or some shit. Yeah, absolutely. But they do they all most of them, I would say at least half of them secretly want a song that's gonna play at the barbecue. They all they all want a summertime by Will Smith and DJ Fresh Prince and DJ JJ. They all want one of those. You know, and um and my secret I, I wanna A and R for a lot of artists. I would love to A&R and produce for a lot of artists. And my secret dream is like A&R for a battle rap person, somebody, somebody's record, because fuck, I could, uh, I feel like I could do it. I feel like I could, I could give him one of those songs. And not only could I give him one of those songs, but it'll, it'll be like, it'll feel like their song. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is some shit that I would say. This is, this is me saying shit that I really think. And this is a vibe that I really have as opposed to, oh, I got you a hit. You know, I would help them find this, figure out a way to take what they've got and put it into a shape that is them, that is digestible. Man, I would love to do that. That's my dream to work with like a Murder Mook or a Hollow to Dawn or anybody who, who wants daylight, anybody who, I don't know a lot of the better rappers, but uh, Matt Hoffa, Brooklyn, you know, anybody, any battle rapper, I would love to work with them and help them make 
help them make songs because I don't think it's a it's a matter of like turning off your lyricism to make a song. You have that, that lyric, those skills of lyricism are only there to help you communicate better. But it, I have an example of an artist that is just the rise straightest bars his motherfucker ever, but basically women are all over his music. His name's Oscar Biggs. He's from Montreal, but he's just so raw and rugged with it. And it's not like to be whatever. It's just like he studied all the DITC shit. And when I say that, I mean literally that crew. And he repurposed it with vulgarity. He just went in a more vile way with it. And people ate it up like candy. Because his flows are on point. His flows are just in the pocket perfectly. And he's punching on these jazzy, funky beats. Mm. Mm. Yeah, sounds fun. <clears throat> That's it. And it's all that whatever you could possibly ever want out of harsh, lyrical, hip-hop, bars-heavy, punchy shit. But at the same time, my girlfriend fucks with it. Because it's so yeah. fun. Yeah. The first Wu-Tang album... Uh, 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 Enter the 36 Chambers, like, there's a lot of really fun songs. Wu-Tang Clan ain't knowing the fuck. That shit is so fun. You know what I mean? Like, or even, even, um, Cream, or those songs are fun in the way that, um, you, it immediately takes you to the feeling and you live in that world of that feeling. You know what I mean? Or, or, or any, any, anything like that. It's like, yeah, just don't, you don't need to give me a novel. Just give me this one feeling and give it to me strong for three minutes. Mm. That's all I need. I need this one feeling and I need to live there. Make a world for me and let me live in there for three minutes. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's actually why I fucks with that Ill Mind of Hobson 5 song so much. It's one of yeah. the only Hobson songs I think that like to this day I can still get lost in because that, I might not agree with him anymore. But it takes me back to this emotion that I once felt that was so vividly powerful and I connected with it in such an ethereal way. I'm like, damn, Hobson, you got me with that one. I would love to work with Hobson. That's an artist that I would love to work with because he knows how to write a song. Uh, it would probably be a nightmare working with him because I think he he's self-destructive and outthinks himself. But he, he knows how to be fun. He knows how to be entertaining. He knows how to rap. And he knows how to write a song. Um, He's super entertaining. He's a great performer. You know what I mean? But, like, I think at least at the point that I saw him, he thinks he's smart and everyone is dumb, and that's not a way to make you can't make music that way. That's why Kendrick works, because I've heard Kendrick say the audience is not dumb. They always know, you know? And that's why he's making the music that he makes. They're not fucking dumb. They, you may have to simplify things for them, but that's because you're communicating. For anybody... It takes anybody seven times. They have to hear a message seven times before they understand it for anybody. You know what I mean? So you've got to make a song very, it's got to be one idea. You don't have time to communicate seven ideas in three minutes. Communicate one idea and drive it home, Mm. I think. Or if you're going to, I mean, I look at songwriting a little more like writing an essay. That's always been my Mm -hmm. approach. So your Mm -hmm. chorus is basically your thesis statement. And then your mm-hmm. verses can be the arguments to break it down. And everything else is meant to build on that. So that's how I've always approached songwriting, win or loss, whatever. But all of my choruses are meant to be the idea glue to putting it to. So you might not know necessarily what it's about at first, but the chorus is supposed to connect the shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, huh, let me think about it. That, that, to be fair, that's how I used to write songs because I was complicated. I don't know how <laughs> 
Yeah. And I'm probably still going to write songs like that at a bass level because that's really like my favorite songs are structured in a way like that, even in rock. You'll have like the verses expand on like the love in like two little snippets here and there. And then the chorus is like, she broke my heart and I, you know, like, so like you get like the, the summation of what it is and rock does it with mad brevity too. You don't really have a lot of thinking in it. Like people glorify Led Zeppelin, like they fucking great lyricism. Like my guy, they wrote like some trash lyrics, mm. They're mm. repetitive as fuck. And they're not that great, but I like the song still because they're fucking catchy. Like a whole lot of love. Doo-doo, doo-doo, a whole lot of love. And that's like the fucking half the chorus. Like, how could you diss anything after that? Like, that's like people's favorite shit, you know, at a certain era. Like, I look at that kind of stuff in the same way. Like, that worked for so many people. They were simple with it. Yeah, simple is, uh, I remember hearing, uh, I love, I, this is another thing I didn't, I haven't brought up yet. This, I don't know where or how this developed. But by now it's a habit. So for most of the time, probably for the last ten years, uh, the fuck is going on in my eye? Oh, um, sure. For at least the last ten years, um, I watch probably about ten hours of interviews a week. So I listen to or read people who are great at what they do talk about how they do what they do all the time. I'm almost addicted to it. I'm constantly. I think I was watching an interview right before we, we, we started talking. I'm constantly listening to interviews. I listen to them all the time. I know who all the best reviewers are or all the best interviewers are. I read and listen to reviews too, but more often in interviewers. So I listen to interviews of podcasts, video interviews. I listen to people talk about uh, what they're great at. Where, how did I get into this? What thought was I trying to... There was somebody who said something... Um, <coughs> fucking lost it. It's all fucking right. lost it. It happened to me a couple of times tonight. It's all good. We are we're almost like three hours deep with it because you're interesting. I have rules for this. The super interesting people's when it gets past three hours. That's how you know you oh, fucking man. not great, man. Yo, because I don't have to try. This conversation honestly is gonna end over hunger and shit. It's not ending because I'm gonna run out of things to say. It's one of those yeah. ones to me. You're like, yo, I gotta get this guy back. I don't even need topics. I could just talk to him. That's that's awesome. I always wanted to be one of one of one of those uh, kind of guests. That's awesome. Um, damn it, that's killing me. That I can't remember. I don't remember either exactly what led to the podcasting thought with interviewers and greatness. But all I could think is about songs. Song, what makes a song? Because I remember you were talking about whole whole lot of love. Um, yeah, yeah, that's the Led Zeppelin thing and the simplicity and the repetition, and then it triggered something in you. And I don't exactly know what it was. And now it's and now it's gone. It was some. It was something about. I. I don't know. I'm just gonna say that. Uh, for me, it's all like tension release and keeping a ball in the air. Mm. So like, I, I'm not really trying to come to a point. I'm just trying to give you a feeling. And everything I say, every melody I have, every beat, every every drum hit, everything's got to keep that feeling so, in the air. To and be I can fair. My job, though, in this is the writer of the lyrics is how I see it. So everyone else oh, is doing that with the music, right? So my yeah. guy, my main guy, I fucks with him because he gives me beats that make me feel shit. Now I just have to. Inter- so I should probably add that caveat, right? Because my guy did all this work to elicit feelings in me. So I'm supposed to be capturing these emotions. And in the sense of how do you verbalize emotion, you know? 
No, I'm really about the emotion with my songwriting. I mean, that's probably why I fucking I'm not accepted so well with the hip hop community in my lyricism is because I'm not really that guy, to be honest with you. Like, what mm. am I gonna be? Try and be some New York dude? I'm not even born there. Why would I even try <laughs> to be that? I'm we're, I'm in yeah. Montreal. We're like, yo, there's a lot of rock here. There's a lot of jazz here. There's a lot of EDM here. There's a lot of emotional shit here. I'm awesome. sensitive as fuck. Like, let's be mm -hmm. real. Um, so like, I don't know, like to me, it's like as the, the vocalist, that's my role on this part. I'm never going to be a beat maker guy. Cause I don't want to be one. So like, I like working with beat maker people. So like my guy will give me this beautiful fucking three and a half, four minute composition. And maybe it could be good enough without me, but fuck that. That's my job. So I come in and I have to make it sound better. I have to take it to the next level and visualize what I interpret his emotion to be which apparently every time is never what he thought it would be. So it's fun for him. Sure. I, sometimes yeah. I don't even use the beat the way he envisioned it. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you find some other way, some other way to wear the coat, I don't know what that means, but mm. yeah. But that's yeah. kind of like, but so I love a lot of what you're saying. Cause I mean, again, I am too complicated because of ego and I wanted to be a good rapper for a very long time. And that got in the way of my success. I'll be real with you. I think so. Because, I don't know. I listened to, like, the one time I just got mad and fucking unloaded. And my dude's like, that's my favorite song you ever did. I'm like, I tried mm -hmm. so not hard on that one. I ranted mm -hmm. at the end off the dome. And I said fuck, like, eight times. I don't even really like listening to the song. But mm. he loves it. Mm, that's for him. It's um, like... It's like that's weird to me that people can have that. Like the ones you don't even like end up being sometimes the ones that they connect the most with. And I'm like, Oh fuck me. Eh? <laughs> that's what Tyler said about, uh, about, uh, the Yonkers. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That can happen for sure. Uh, yeah, because it's not, it's not for us. You know, it's not, I remember I got in trouble the other day for saying, you know, a lot of rappers suffer from the same thing stand-ups do, which is stand-ups do open mics. Yes, preach what you're going with. I'm with you already. And they'll they do open mics, and you hear this a lot. They end up, um, they start just making jokes for the other comics because the social scene in a, in a, in a stand-up open mic, especially in a place like New York, is super fucking harsh and, 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 and fucking uh, cannibal. They're going to eat their own. They fucking want you to, they're not going to laugh on purpose. They hate you, so you're making jokes just to try to make them laugh, and comics like the most vile insider shit, right? So you're just making jokes for them, missing the point that you're at that open mic to learn to make strangers who have nothing to do with comedy laugh. That's who you're trying to make laugh, not other comics. So don't show up there in the in the in, you know I mean you only get a couple hours of stage time a week, and you need ten thousand hours to be great. Don't show up there wasting that time trying to make other comics laugh. You're trying to make regular people laugh. Yo, um, so what happens is, is regular people tell them what they think and cancel culture. You're right, 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 right. I mean, absolutely, yeah. There's, there's, they're saying the most vile shit to make other comics laugh. Um, also, I mean, motherfuckers got to get canceled sometimes. One, because they're vile, or two, they're got to get canceled because the audience was not ready to hear what they had to say. That's and right. that person got to sit on the sideline. Okay, look, I, I, maybe I was making some petty shit, but I know a lot of comics oh, in my no. city. Yeah. And um, honestly, I see sometimes they post some really like divisive shit. 
often it's divisive yeah. shit. And sure. often they have a certain skin color that looks like mine. And they sure. don't know that maybe when you're making the joke, it's not the same as when other people make the joke in the eyes of everyone watching it. And so they spit this shit on a Facebook timeline. And I'm like, bro, that's like standing in a park screaming. I, it's not uh, like you're in a club or anything. It's like you're on, you're in the park. So yeah, you're allowed to say things, but you're not putting it on restricted. If I'm seeing your shit, I promise. Which means you're just kind of saying it with a megaphone in a park to an audience or anybody, whatever you're saying all the time yep. on Facebook. Yep. And you drop your joke thinking you're funny to your peoples and go, come on, my joke's based on my ethical norms to the world. And the world doesn't necessarily agree with your ethical norms. So if the joke makes sense to you on some value shit and therefore it's okay to be divisive, that seems to be something that happens a lot. And I'm like, yo, but I don't know if I agree with your values. <clears throat> so people go, let's have a conversation on your values. And then boom is the response. I mean, that's a child. Those are children. Um, and, and, and because... Uh, number one, comics get to say whatever they want, but only if they're funny. And you don't get to argue for if you're funny or not. People have to make a certain noise and it's involuntary. So if people don't laugh, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? You have to be funny. So if it's not funny, then you don't get to say it and people will come and eat you for it. Also, uh, something I noticed a lot of white folk is they tend to confuse being obnoxious with being funny or with being obnoxious with being interesting. And they're not remotely the same thing. It's somebody who doesn't know who they are yet or doesn't know what their voice is yet. And they're trying to be edgy. Because I guarantee you Rowan Atkinson, who's Mr. Bean, is way more funny than you and he doesn't talk. You, know I mean? so, <laughs> you are funny, my guy. We didn't even talk about your comedy. That line did really well for me. I like dry humor though. I'm into that <laughs> British dry humor shit. It's very rare you'll get a real fucking chortle out of me. I I, I mean, I just, uh, I know, I mean, I'm surrounded by comedians. So another comedian talking about, and I'm not that mad at them because they're young and they're just trying to learn how to be funny. Um, but yeah. This oh, idea I was talking about people in their 30s, my guy. Oh God. Well, it's over for them. But uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, this idea that comedy has to be divisive, like they all, they want to be Bill Burr or Dave Chappelle, and they're convinced they are. The burden of the burden of interest is on the artist. If the people aren't laughing, you're not funny. And you could be, but you better try something else. Because this thing, and nobody cares about your politics, and make people laugh. Yo, that's a big thing. I think is a lot of people use comedy as a vehicle for political agendas, thinking it's funny. Because honestly, political humor is funny when weird people are in office. But again, if you're funny, so a lot if of you, funny. so you know what, putting Trump in your joke is probably good clickbait in an era for about four years, right? But that's more in the realms of like, look, this is how I perceive it as a content marketer. Like that's mm. kind of part of my day job in my scholaries. I've studied this shit in the internets. And I look at a lot of stuff at a base level. Like, I'm like, okay, what's your joke actually about, right? Like, let's break this down linguistically. What are you saying? At like, a, almost like it's a rap bar. I can't help it. That's what I do. And a lot yeah, of times these jokes are like, ha ha, they're heathens. And I'm like, I don't know. I never fucked. I don't fuck with that shit. When, you, when your joke can be boiled down to ha ha, they're heathens. 
and really think about a lot of jokes. You'll know what the fuck I'm talking about if you are surrounded by it. To me, that's a weird joke. That's like not what George Carlin or Richard Pryor or the other greats did, you know? Like they were like really observing the world around them and making commentary on it in a meaningful way. Sure. And the other thing is, if you really like watch George Carlin, George Carlin's doing a lot of this shit too. You know what I mean? He's a fucking clown. George Carlin is a literal clown. He's, yeah, yeah, what, what, uh, uh, you know what I mean? He's doing all this shit. He's, he's, George Carlin is Jim Carrey with a bunch of big words. Ha, that's it's amazing. Same, it's the same thing. And, and I love George Carlin. This is only, what I'm saying is George Carlin is really a comedian. Like he's dedicated to the laugh. He may have a point that he's making, but he's, he's funny. He's an imp. I mean, he's, he, he made you know points, I mean? really good points. He made great points, but he is literally a clown. You I know feel what I mean? you. Well, sort of. Uh, Comedy is not my strong suit. I just know it at a very top-level <laughs> way, and I happen to know a disproportionate amount of comics. But I do mm. know that I care about certain things as a person, and I think about what's funny to me a lot because I don't laugh at the things other people laugh about, and I had to figure out why at some point. And I boiled it down to shit that boils down to ha ha he then isn't funny to me. And unfortunately, most American comedy I find stems in that world of shit. Most of it that I find, not all of it. Whereas the British shit kind of plays with linguistics more and situational irony. And I like situational mm. irony. It's kind of satire at that point. It is real satire in a sense. And I like mm. really, but like satire is smart shit. Like you can't just be offensive. Oh, of course. And being a, and again, a lot of white people think being obnoxious is being interesting, and it's completely the opposite. It's but like satire is not even about being interesting. It's about mm -hmm. like leveraging, you know, certain things to make points in a very specific and pointed kind of way. Usually, it's often political. Absolutely, but in the end, at the end of the day, it all has to be funny. Yeah, and that's true. The, the, the smart or not, I mean, people say the same thing about hip hop and they get really caught. And that's also just about ego. It's like, it, what, is, what does smart really mean? Like, who is that for? I, I get all of that. But mm. at the end of the day, did I you laugh? That was a did you want to play this? Yeah. Did you want to play the song over again? Like, then we can then we can break it down. If there's a lot in there to talk about um, in the breakdown, it's also beautiful. I think with comedy, though, like the reason I say smart is because a lot of satire attempts show an ignorance in what satire means. Therefore, you have to be smart enough to know what satire means to deliver satire. How about that as a restated version of what I was trying to say? I don't. I, I didn't want to disagree or, or didn't. No, I love what you did because you used a very fair point, and I do like to be specific with my ideas. And if I have to reframe my words to be clearer, that's how you avoid real miscommunications with your girlfriend mm -hmm. and everyone else in life. So I actually really appreciate that shit. Um, I think I think that works for me. You're I, you're also contending against my bias with words like talented and smart yeah. because they're. They're often more serving the no, person talking point, about it. I agreed with your your subtle. Your, I agreed with your point, so that's why I adapted. It wasn't just because what you said. It was because yeah, he's making a point. I come on, I'm saying snob shit. I don't want to say snob <laughs> shit. Even I'm if I think I'm right, I need to frame it better. Sure. The, the, when we're talking about smart, a lot of times, you know what I think about. You ever seen the movie Funny People? No, I did not. But you can describe it. 
Oh, man, I, it's one of my favorite movies. It's a Jed Apatow movie. In it, Adam Sandler plays a sort of fictional version of himself, a big comedy megastar. And, but he's, he's, uh, he's unmarried and he's sort of like a, you know, a, a dirtbag, you know, he's just fucking whoever he can fuck. And he's just a dirtbag, selfish, you know, broke a lot of hearts, but he's a big comedy superstar. And that guy finds out that he's about to die of cancer. And so the first half of the movie, he's like trying to reform his life because he's made a bunch of mistakes and alienated a lot of people. Then in the middle of the movie, he finds out he's not going to die of cancer. So it's about what happens to the guy who decided to change his life, who now realizes that he doesn't really have to. Mm. Uh, it's a fucking great movie. Rogan's in it. Um, so anyway, there's a part, Seth Rogan plays a real big fan of Adam Sandler's character. And he's talking about one of his, and, and the movies are all just like Adam Sandler movies. So there's a movie that that character does called Merman, which is like a mermaid who's a man, which seems like an Adam Sandler movie, right? And, and as Seth Rogen's character is talking about, it, he's like, oh yeah, that's what happened in Merman. That was a smart movie. <laughs> and Joe Rogan's character is just some burnout pothead from California. And he's like, that's a smart movie. It's like, well, smart to who? Smart to who? You know what I mean? Um, and and I get it. I've said that too. I think there's some smart Adam Sandler. I know what you mean, and I agree with it. But I also like to look at myself and go, "What do nah, I mean by smart?" <clears throat> no, it's 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 important because yo, I had to think a lot about the word obvious, which is another one that people don't understand that is in the same ballpark. How the fuck is anything obvious on the internet to a global population of anyone? Yo, obvious is based on normative culture of your local regions and traditions. It's the only things that can be obvious. Otherwise, the word has no fucking point. It's obvious to you or me based on, and then you have to say yes. what it's based on. So when you see baseball and you think American, it's based on things. It's not obvious inherently to the rest of the world necessarily this, that, the next thing. I have no emotional attachment to baseball. Frankly, I don't understand it. But like, mm -hmm. you know, like that's the obvious love of it doesn't exist to me is, is why I say it like that, you know? But like there is a love for it and I could figure it out. And then I go, oh, it has nothing to do with this sport being great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's based on how people grew up on it or uh, all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the smart part, I mean, people talk about that with lyrics and with hip hop and with movies and with comedy and all that. Is it smart? Is it smart? And it's not that I disagree with it, but I, yeah, I don't think we examine what we even mean by that when we use it. Mm. And that is fine, but it's harmful for practitioners because we're not really examining what does that mean? What am I chasing? You know, it's like that with feedback too. Like if you want to talk about the subject of feedback, like sometimes Ooh. people think I don't listen to feedback, but it's mostly like, do you know what most of the feedback I get is? Mm. This is good slash this is bad slash make it more like how I would consume it, but I wouldn't consume it even if you made these changes. Yes. Yep. So it's like, I mean, I want to listen to your feedback, but you started the conversation with, I don't listen to rap. Mm. You don't mm. really want to be my fan, even if you think you do. <clears throat> like if you don't want to watch four hour interviews, three hour interviews, then just off the jump, like, do you really want to be my fan? I don't think you do. You might think mm -hmm. you do. This is a recent conversation I had with somebody who got offended where I'm like, look, you already are fundamentally trying to change it. 
but the problem is just Ismail said you should acknowledge feedback. We don't have to apply it. But yo, Ismail, the problem with that is people don't let it go if you try to acknowledge feedback. Then it's arguments. Then it's some petty shit. Then you're an arrogant this. You just don't, you know what? I just try not to engage with it unless I don't ask for feedback anymore. I fuck with Ismail's feedback on hip hop because he's proven to me over years that he is a fucking scholar that takes the craft seriously and he cares about shit. So I care yeah. about his opinion on feedback. Golden Jenny was like, I think your shit's dope enough to pay for. I care about her feedback on the quality of my interviews. Random person in the office that won't watch my shit and is patronizing me and telling me what shows he wants to watch instead. It's hard for me to engage with that feedback with the same level of seriousness. It just is at this point because otherwise I'm listening to 3,000 feedback points a day. Kind of not that many, but like I might get 30 feedback points in a given day if I were to really listen to every person's feed. How do you even digest that much feedback and not cripple yourself as an artist? There's... um. I ran into, I used to run into the same thing a lot with sending people my songs. And um, the big thing is, uh, you know, it is coming from who I want it to come from, which is the regular person. And it sounds, it does sound like you're getting valuable feedback, but you do need to translate it because they're not telling you something you can use in its raw state. Yeah. If you, if you, dilute it or if you um extract hold on i can't hear you anymore and i don't know what happened oh sorry i covered i covered the mic awesome. um the um what i ask people lately when i send them a song is i just ask them just tell me how this makes you feel mm. i don't care what you would do you don't write songs you don't know anything about it so there's not there's not that much really you would tell me that that's that's helpful about it because you don't have the language and you don't have the whatever i really like that i'm gonna steal that shit from you because yo honestly i don't like i like ismail's feedback because it acknowledges certain specific actionable things here and there and i mean it like that like that's i think the biggest problem is honestly i don't know that i promise to have the energy to fucking deal with translating strangers feedback at this point i don't even know people sometimes it's like yeah you can't take it from everybody it's very few people right so it. that's why i meant like and I, I i keep bringing him up but ismail has been watching my shit for years like he literally probably knows me better than i know myself in some ways and i have to acknowledge that as he says things about me you know like in the back of my mind that's different Ismail is a fucking homie to me, you know? Like, I trust his opinion. Now, unfortunately, uh, I used to be that guy that asked everybody for feedback. That mm. was a mistake at yeah, one point, and it made me kind of jaded. But now mistake. I might do that. How does this? Because, yo, it was back to your, like, yo, surveys is like, I have to kind of dance on eggshells because it's literally part of my day job. But asking the right question is literally everything to a survey. And a feedback is about surveys. And I love the way that you found the magic question where, honestly, you could probably charge people to teach them that. Hmm. I had not thought of that, yeah. Yeah, it was my first thought when you said it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that, that's, the only thing, that's the only thing you can really translate. Because people are going to tell you to do stuff and it's more because, and I don't blame them, it just feels good to be like, yeah, I know something about this. You don't. Um, it's because you haven't practiced it, is all. And 
and they're going to give you information that's not actionable or they're going to give you something that they think works or sells and it's like that's not what i want either yeah. you know what i want it was like figuring out that my girlfriend wants shit she can dance to that's fine but I didn't listen to her because she didn't use words I understood at first to describe that meaning. And then it was about the fourth year into that conversation that it made sense to me. Yeah. I, I admit I'm not always accepting of change, which is fair. And That's, this is yep. a lot of change. But I really like what you're saying because um, inevitably I started doing this interview thing and it really got me to realize how much feedback's important and seeing more patterns and stuff in the way people's journeys goes. And that's why I decided I'm going to write my music live now. And like literally, Ismail was like, you're too aggressive on this hook. And I'm like, yeah, I am. It was my first take. But he was right. And I kept it in the back of my mind the rest of it. Don't be too aggressive on the hook. It's not right. Mm, he mm. might not know I kept it in the back of my mind the whole time, but I really did. And I'm like, yo, this guy might fucking listen to my music. He's here watching me write it. Like, who the fuck else cares what anyone else thinks at this point? It's me, is male, and the other fucking person on the stream. Because he's fucking riding the journey with me. So fuck other people is a little bit my feelings. Not all the other people's, right? Because obviously it's not just this male. There's actually, like, enough peoples out there that I can, like, go out there and get whatever, but... In that moment, I was like, who the fuck cares what anyone else thinks? He's here. He's literally telling me shit. That's dope. Mm, wow. So why do, that guy's value, if you're on my show and I see you in my chats, your opinion counts a little bit more to me about the quality of my show and how I can direct it differently versus if you're not there. Maybe that's something I want to use and adopt because I've become very much like, Sometimes I don't know how I feel about something. You know, I need a little distance from it or I, I might be missing something. But if I feel strongly about something, I like it or I don't like it. I pretty much think there's a, there's a, I think an Ira Glass quote about that, which is like, artists are just people who have really great, really great taste. And most of your career and your training is just about getting to the point where you can meet your own taste. Mm. and once you can do that then you're ready to practice you know or, or you're ready to do the thing but that's what your journey is about okay i, re I have really good taste in comedians i want to be a comedian so i've got to get to the point where i think i'm as funny as Chappelle or norm mcdonald or something like that you know I, and i can hear myself and go i'm not as funny yet okay i'm gonna keep working you know I really like what you're saying, by the way. I think you are brilliant. So you, you're really spitting some hot shit right here. Like, in this conversation, I feel like I've evolved my future approaches, which is why I selfishly love this interview shit. Every one of these, I feel like I learned something about how to be better at all of this art mm -hmm. shit. Because, y'all, talent's whatever. Honestly, it's, it's a little mechanical. You want me to write a song, that's a mechanical process. I don't have the time maybe to record it right, but... I mean, it's a skill. It's all skills, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Fan base growing and people and relationships. And let's be real. There's politics in this shit. Politics, mm -hmm. not my favorite parts, not my strong suits. Um, mm. but, but I'm blessed to have a corporate day job boss who really takes the time to teach me how to middle class better. So it wow. helps me politic a little bit better because let's be real, most of the people we're dealing with in this world is the middle class, is the consumer. It's not the God lower class it. and it's not the upper class. It's the, that's the majority, is the middle class. 
I like to think that those are the real. The, uh, Chris Rock has a joke where his he said his mom used to say, I don't even think it's a joke, but he said his mom used to go to they'd be in really in a really rich area, and she'd be like, "Those are the real white people." Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, uh, similarly, I have to say when you talk about the middle class people or whatever, I say those are the real people, meaning like I remember watching movies and thinking like any movie. I watch a movie and I used to think like, oh, the star, the, these celebrities, they're so cool. And really their job only means anything because they're reflecting middle-class people's lives back at them. The people who pave the roads, the people who take care of the old people, the people who teach the children, the people who you know um, build the cars, the people who, whatever it is, the people who work at the plant. All, everything we make, the music, the movies, it's just to reflect their lives back at them. They live real lives so that we have something to reflect back at them. Those are all the real people. We're not, everyone else is just a fringe. They're like 70, 80% of people and then there's the rest of us. I think that's why uh, John Lennon's working class hero works so well. I fucks with that song to this day, my guy. And it's because while I might be in the middle, lower end of the middle tier in an office, I still feel like it's some working class hero shit. Dude. Yeah, they're fucking heroes, man. They live a, what do they call it? A life of quiet desperation. Oh my gosh. Anyway, I mean, I gotta be careful. Like, cause it's like my, it's my life though. Like, it, I mean, it feels like it's not, but I can talk about myself and that is what my day job's like. I go to work. It is what it is. I love my job and I love the opportunity there, but it really is about stuff that isn't really mine on other people's timelines all the time. Mm -hmm. And I have to be patient and wait for my opportunity in ways that really feel like old school things. And it's not anyone's fault. It's just the way bureaucracy works. I am a small scale, agile guy. That's the world I want to be in. I don't even really want to pop off and have a major organization, six, seven people max type shit. You know, like that sounds sexy to me. Um, and then we run with it. But like maybe it gets bigger and other people run it but i can't run the company if it gets bigger than that i don't know the discipline or the patience for that shit. Mm, mm. i'm like a startup motherfucker. yeah yeah i think that's what a lot of artists are yeah i'm, I'm the same i'm just i'm trying to figure out so, how to become so like the second anybody comes through and goes hold it i'm better at business than you let me business for you so you can art better that would be the dream to me but I Same. mean, that's not gonna happen until you have an initial something, something or another. Because business people don't fuck around until you build your core audience. Yeah, that's good to know. <laughs> it's the facts, though. I actually know some people with some money, uh, as in the guys who own my company, and they're like, one of the guys I work for bought the Carry Square in Montreal. So when I say that, I mean, um, like, this is a big thing in Montreal. And like a huge mall, and he bought the fucking mall. Is his, his like, you know it's huge. Like the city had to approve it and shit. Damn. So I work for that guy, um, and we go to. By the way, I know Montreal. I got a lot of family there. I mean, it's next to the Orange Julep. If that means anything to you. Probably not. But no. I, I just, I just, I spent a lot of time as a kid in that city. But like, yeah. I talked to him about shit, and apparently, if you want to do real estate development. Um, and you have a nine-figure project, you'll get funding. If you have a $2 million project, you won't find funding. Nobody fucks with small numbers. That's the way business is. They want to take existing shit, maximize their revenues on as little effort as possible. And they don't have to worry about it. 
because they just have to wait for their uh, the good offer to show up. Everyone's after their big money. That's how venture capitalism and shit really works. And this kind of trickles down the whole way. The music industry is not that different than a venture capitalist, of a series of venture capitalist firms that put up money and funding into the equity that is, like if you look at yourself like a company and you're the stocks behind that company, when you're talking your negotiation with a contract, it's really like selling shares to the company about the overall value and whatever. You can kind of parallel it like that. Mm -hmm. It's not exactly mm -hmm. like that. I know, I know. It's a parallel, like it's a metaphor, whatever. So that's what wow. the labels will is. So you can see a lot of comparisons in it. So the people with real money are going to not treat us differently. Yo, I talked to this guy about music versus high art. High art goes up in value on some lame perception shit. You can buy like 50 pieces of art and one of them is going to pop and you're set. You made back all the money on your like fucking $5,000 a pop fucking whatevers. But we're like a service. And we act like we're commodities, but our commodities don't sell. So rich people don't want to fuck with us. So what they mm. do is they wait for the people who prove the service angle. You can sell tickets. That's an as-a-service model. You can do these things. Your service brings in value. And then wealthy people, labels, whatever, swoop in. Once you've proven the value of your as-a-service economy, as in established mm -hmm. your fan base and proven your own funnels and this and that already, and then they invest on your ecosystem and build on it. That's how shit works now. There's no such thing as a motherfucker making a move without already having some shit popping on his own. Shit, dude. Yeah, I, I, I know that, and I understand. I'm learning to understand that, and I'm learning to build the other side, which is honestly like it doesn't discourage me. I feel like nah, some you're people, shit, my guy. You should be very yeah. encouraged. Yeah, I feel I feel encouraged, right? Because to me, it's like yeah, the value. I always hear people go, "Sales don't matter." What the fuck are you talking about? How do you know that your music is any good if people aren't willing to shell out money for it? Mm. How do you know that people value it if people aren't willing to shell out money they for can it? They subscribe to you. So However they do. sales don't necessarily matter. It's a language issue. You should yeah. adapt that to uh, just counter it with sales don't matter, but revenue does. What is okay? Tell me what that means to you. So sales to me, I, I don't consider a guy subscribing to me on Patreon a sale. Okay. But I think that's a better revenue model than worrying about sales. So Revenue means what versus sales? Revenue is money coming in by any okay. source. AdSense is a revenue source. I make money on Twitch ads and YouTube ads and alternate revenue sources. So it's hard for me to call that sales. Is that sales? Nah, nobody fucking bought sure. anything. But sure. you can't. Den I can't deny the fact that YouTube every now and again sends me a hundo. I can't deny sure. the fact, but yo, if I can stack up enough of these hundos, it's a thousand. If I can stack up enough of these thousands, it's a career. And so you start collecting subscribers. And so if you say sales matter and you look at it linearly, like sales is in products and commodities, sales don't matter to me at all. Honestly, I don't give a fuck if I open a merch store. I will, yes, inevitably when it's right, but it's not my priority. My priority is that, yo, sometimes people even can donate directly on Twitch. I'm not asking for it. That's not why I'm saying it. It's to explain it to you, sir. But um, people can, in theory, fucking throw literal pennies at me, you know? Um, and then also, not all that subscribe to you as your fan is another point. But we're talking about revenue sources. So to me, it's like if you broaden the idea of sales to revenue sources by any means and whatever they are you're thinking in a more internet marketing kind of way as opposed to mm -hmm. i'm going to sell this product or not like fuck it i'm not i made more money not selling albums than i did trying to sell albums 
Maybe I would have made more money selling albums if I tried that. Don't get me wrong. But like, like I'm not doing well, but I've made enough money to not feel like it's like, I feel like it's worth throwing more money at it. We'll say rather than not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Shit, man. Damn. That, yeah, that is the part I want to, I want to figure out. I I got, I got to, and that, that is very helpful because for me, like if I had to, you know, my biggest, my biggest influence, my favorite artist of all time is Prince. Mm. And Prince had the the thing that I want, like my end goal, which is he had Paisley Park. He had a huge complex where you could uh, uh, write music, record music, distribute music, rehearse music live, um, uh, shoot videos all in one and live there. He had that all in one complex. That's what I want. Yo, he dropped the YouTuber model before it was cool? I had no fucking idea. That is the current business model of YouTuber houses. What do you mean? What do you mean? They buy, like, mansions and build machine houses to pump out content on repeat. It's a huge business model in L.A. and shit. That's, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's... I didn't know that came from Prince. I didn't personally know that. I don't know anybody else who did it. I'm sure other people did it before him. As a matter of fact, the band did it, probably. You know the band, the Last Waltz. Anyway, it's been done, but it's cool to see yeah. Prince doing it before it was cool. That kind of shit yeah, he, excites me. He was doing all kinds of shit at his at his uh at his complex. He did everything at Paisley Park that he could, and it was most things. I think he even had a staff. He had like engineers on because he didn't sleep, so he had twenty four hour engineers, twenty four hour every everybody was there all the time. He had people designing clothes for him on premises most days of the week. Just like people designing his clothes. I don't want all that. I just want to be able to um, shoot videos record and record music and play with my band uh, and my and my property. Um, that's that's all dream. I want. That's all I want. I want a basement yeah. I can convert into a media studio that has all the rooms I need for the different purposes and that is exactly. allows people to come through but not go in my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want that. I want to live. I think who had that too? I think um, fucking uh, um, oh man, I'm just remembering I know, this. I just know that a guy from Montreal who does it, and it inspired the shit out of me. So I'm fucking like into it. They did it on Full House. They converted the basement into a studio so Uncle mm. Jesse can record down there. Uh, no, but like so yeah. if you get a big enough house, you can have a big enough basement to have a proper four rooms set up for different purposes right i already got it all pictured in my head how much space i need but like yo then i would never need to leave my apartment or house at that point and that would make me very happy i would leave it but i would never need to leave it yeah that's that's all i've ever wanted like just to be able to make stuff and i was i mean i'm also doing theater and stuff so i would like rehearse a play put up a play you know, I mean, whatever it is, like, just do it all there. That's, uh, that's, that's the end goal for me. That's a dream. That's what I'm trying to get to. So I got to figure out a way to make this content to get enough subscribers um, so that I, I know that they can fund. If each of them just chips in a dollar, they can fund that dream. Yeah. Shit. It's just being accessible where people are encouraged to give money is the truth. Say that one more time. Being, being accessible where people are encouraged to give money is helpful wow. to your cause. Wow. 
That's why I like Twitch a lot more than YouTube. I mean, look, I love Twitch for a lot of reasons, but it makes it easier to explain to other people on the fiscals when there is a donation system built into the platform that incentivizes. You know what? It incentivizes your trust. I've probably spent as much on uh, 70% of what I've made on Twitch, I've spent on Twitch back, believe it or not. Mm, mm. See, I just show up on channels and I'm like, fuck that. They throw bits at me. I'm fucking throwing bits now. <laughs> and twitch is just like give me because they twitch takes 50 percent of every fucking thing you donate so they charge yeah. you and then they take 50 percent of the donations after it so twitch is just like give me back that money and i'm like twitch please take that money and everybody's yeah. fucking happy because we love it it's fucking weird there's a lot of gambling addiction built into twitch i found out and it's fun Oh shit, dude. Okay, I gotta learn more because there's a. I would like to do some of that same shit you're even talking about. Like, I had a. I had an idea for a show that maybe I should try to do it on Twitch, uh, called Type Beat Time Trial. Um, where I just get a rapper on and I give him about forty five minutes to an hour, and I say just start a song, write the first, write the first verse and a hook of a song. Oh my god, I want to do this. This is and a we'll good idea. We'll talk about it as you're as you're making it. I'll ask you little questions about it. Shit, I fucking love it. I, it's so sustainable. You just need Zoom. Yeah, basically. But you have a computer. Oh yeah, I'm on a yeah, computer. you're good. Here. Fucking OBS, Windows or Mac? Mac. I don't know how to do it on a Mac, but it's similar. Okay. Yeah, I I've already done one. I did one, and I want to <laughs> do more. I just. I didn't know the Twitch model. I've never really tried Twitch, so maybe that's the place nah, to Twitch do it. Twitch is basically like, look at it like it's live. And here's why you care about live. What's the future of virtual reality? Everyone can argue whatever they fucking want, but VR is going to be forced upon us. It's Ooh. not going to be like fun. I saw Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas in an interview in 2018 saying, fuck albums, I'm way less interested. VR is, what, is where my focus is. So you can already see like big guys like him are going to come through when the time's ready. We shows they're gonna fuck your mind up, and then we're all gonna go chase them. Okay, like let's be Shit. real. Yeah, like Yo. the video and the album will come at the same time. And then you're gonna need the VR headset, which by then will cost a hundred fifty dollars for a good one. And uh, look, y'all can't picture the fucking videos in VR, music video, light experiences, shit. You know how much money it costs to pull that off in real life versus virtual reality, my guy. Hmm. Mm. You'll follow the dollars and then microtransactions inside of virtual reality. What? I don't even know what that means. Microtransactions is that shit software companies do that they charge you a couple dollars here and there for little things, whether it's cosmetics, temporaries, services, whatever, whatever's. Um, and then, so two, three dollar things. We're all actually really used to spending two, three dollars on our phone without thinking about it at this point. We've been conditioned to do so and put that shit on your credit card without thinking twice. It's been a big move in life lately. Um, but that actually is cool for artists because your merch is weird in real life. But like, imagine you just got to throw your fucking logo design on an avatar and you're selling that for two bucks. Like, I mean, like, practically speaking, it's fucking simple. Now, why would everybody not jump on board with that? Who the fuck wants to do complicated, expensive shit when we can all do cheap, simple shit and make money doing it because we're not wasting frivolous amounts of dollars on expensive processes that are outdated and not making sense? 
explain to me one more time when throw, what is it throw your logo on something so you have avatars in virtual reality right like you're not just yeah. you you have like a fucking virtual you so you have that gray yeah. shirt maybe you walk in and you're in a gray shirt but you look on the wall of your show we're watching precious gorgeous and you have your virtual merch table and you have literal items attached to you can buy a precious gorgeous beanie for i used beanie because you're there but it's a toque for uh, two dollars uh whatever now i can get the precious gorgeous toque to put on my wu-tang sweater that i spent 27 dollars for because it's fucking wu-tang and people are gonna do it my guy you know how i know they're gonna do it how the fuck mm. do you think fortnite made a billion who fortnite the kids game you know how it made a billion dollars it sold skins like people could argue with me about in real life and sweat all they want but i'm like yo there's like billions of dollars to be made in this digital sphere what famous people are gonna go like not be all over that shit that's another thing you just helped me see is that like it's something i thought already but like I gotta really work even more in my visual sense. Like, what? Me the, too. How does the precious gorgeous thing look? Like, uh, and I'm just talking about like it's everything. Just like it's a lot simpler if you're an avatar and you're working with a VR graphic designer, though. Mm -hmm. For mm -hmm. you and me, like I, in the theory, in the future, don't even have to look like me anymore. I can have a person create an avatar for myself. Mm. Can you think about what that does for, uh, I don't know how to, insecure people who feel a way about how they look mm. and the potential for boldness? Yo, it's fucking Ready Player One. Damn. I, yeah, mean, I, I, can't even, I can't even bring my mind there. I hear um, you. But yeah, you just got one more thing to sell it to you, like proper, proper, because I know you're nearly there. 17-year-old kid I was talking to as tracks popping off, doing his thing, doing his thing. He's never done a live show. When he might actually get famous before he's legally allowed to perform through through doing on VR. Yeah, I think that's already happening. Well, just um, in the internet with the sound, like whatever. He just he can't go perform. There's nowhere to perform. We're in literal curfews and shit, right? So what if COVID keeps us close for a year and a half, and now he has a hundred thousand fans? Like now he's getting paid. I'm sure that's already happening. But that means these kids don't have that nostalgic in real life connection to fall back on. They never experienced it. They're almost skipping that step and finding financing. And I'm trying to like tell people, yo, this is a threat to our old ways. And people are like, I don't know about that, buddy. And I'm like, yo, talk to like I didn't know it that serious until I talked to a 17 year old kid with 12,000 followers and Sp monthly listeners, 12,000 monthly listeners on Spotify that's never done a show. I'm like, wow, that's actually scary big if you think about it in terms of what that could mean for the future of expectations of youth. Yeah, I mean, that'll go one way and it'll go far. Uh, but the, And maybe even for a whole generation it'll go far. But then mm. at some point in the next generation, I agree the, with that. I like the novelty what you're saying. Of, of the live experience, one person who goes back to that, they're going to be a fucking revolutionary like right. the, the gathering together will always have a have a be special because it's too visceral 
Big facts. So me and the kids agree that it's going to not be bars. It'll be like chalets and private parties and things like that for the gram because it's better photo ops full of people rather than empty bars and Junji. So there, that's just going to be lit. And I don't know that I'm going to be invited to a lot of it because of my age and lifestyle. But the other side is festivals. Obviously, festivals, they were doing well already. They're not going anywhere. But um, I think live's just going to get more premium. Like, people were already spending $400 to go see Nostalgia. So, like, I never thought live was going away. I'm all about following the money. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's just now that Nostalgia has a $20 VR access attached to each step of the tour. Damn. Yeah, that, that part's coming, too. Gosh. I, I, I can't i can't i don't know how much i can manage just i, I always get scared about this because i'm always so much like yeah, you're so I, still cool. <laughs> I don't know that i'm cool man i'm i'm just trying to i appreciate that i'm, I'm trying to figure out how to not everyone to, holds down this three and a half hour chat of fucking bouncing everywhere and i mean i'm not saying like a million people are watching but there's a few people watching for hours now that's fucking crazy cool that doesn't happen unless you're cool i'll, I'll take it man i I've, I've super i've super enjoyed this i really i would i would like to at some point uh yeah uh, I feel maybe you. do another do another part because i would like to 100 don't get what happened? One hundred percent. I was gonna be like, yo, I'm gonna, cause yo, I want a few people that are like, every few months they come through again, and we get some like, yo, all the greats have that, except for drink champs, which is different, cause they're kind of different. But uh, right, they had DMX on. They had a couple people on twice. They've had a couple people on twice. But yo, DMX. already we got it. Yo, there's a few people. Like I already booked this dude meticulous for a part two. I feel like two, three months maybe. We're testing shit out. I don't know. I've been an interviewer like this for like fucking three months. Okay, my guy. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along. Mm, mm. But uh, oh wow, I realize this platform is new. It feels like you've, you've been doing this for forever. I did a lot of album reviews and podcasting format and talking, so I'm very comfortable talking to the camera live is terrifying i watch that number of viewers and it makes me anxious the entire fucking time i'm not gonna lie to you i'm so worried that if i say something i'm gonna offend people and i have to remind myself that i can't do that and that the youtube video after is a real thing and if i'm an anxious mess watching six to seven people i'm a fucking moron <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely but it's, oh, man. it's, it's actually yeah. really like um honestly i did i i spent all of 2020 begging for interviews i got about seven or eight done i basically had about 15 interviews clocked and then uh montreal passed a rule in september where it made it hard illegal to come to my crib and uh i was like yo i can't be putting that on wax you know it wasn't like gray zone it was like hard so i'm like fuck it we're doing it by zoom and then uh we started it kind of slow in october and then the next thing I know, by November, I was getting hit up by motherfuckers. Like, and it just started building. And now we booked out like three months. Damn, dude, that that's but amazing. It was after a fuck ton of failure. Yeah. Like to me, this is month like fifty-two. It's not like whatever of the journey of this Whoa. part of it, but like, yo, this speed, this interview shit. I didn't know I was gonna be an interviewer like this. This. I didn't know this is what was going to stick. It just happened, and then it just flipped. And then it turned out smoking pot and talking for several hours was interesting to this niche of people that fucks with it heavy. 
I'm like, yo, yo I'm just kind of explaining to you a bit how to think about this shit. But most importantly, I love this. This is how I hang out with people. I would hang out with you and we would just do this off camera. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love the way you think. Uh, I feel like we have super similar uh, uh, ways of thinking about things or, or, or maybe uh, congruent. And I also, I do love the sort of small troll you do. Let me try to jab at this idea and see if <laughs> see if Ralph will bite at it. Uh, I, I love that. I'm trying to test out some of it, but I mean, sometimes it's worth like, you know, sometimes it's worth figuring out who can be topical. Like, mm -hmm. how am I really going to know that unless I do a little jabby poo here and there? Because some people don't bite at it. They're not interested. They have nothing to say on these topics. So it's like, all right, let's go back to your life story. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. But well, like, I, um, mm -hmm. I don't know. Sorry, I cut you off. No, no, no. I, 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 I appreciate that technique. I think it's, I think it's very wise and, uh, and sharp and, uh, yeah, we certainly, we, we, we talked for a while and we haven't even, we gotten to, I guess, to my, to my yeah, bike tour. It's here's another secret. Crazy. If I really think it's going to go to four hours, I derail the interview at the story part at about the two hour mark. And I basically make sure I can get you to come back again. It's a strategy because <laughs> now you're like, fuck, I got like all this life and it's like, there's no way. And now you're like, I lived so much of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we also show how interesting you are by example in a lot of ways. And I learned a lot personally. So I got real selfish with it. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, I definitely, I want to encourage, I haven't plugged it the whole time like a fool. But I definitely want to encourage people. Oh, to... I'm a, sorry. Smart man is to save it to the end. You don't see me plug in very much to it the whole way, did you? Oh, okay. Tell me when we're tell me when we're there. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to like, jump. I was gonna go eleven latest for real, so we can wrap it up. It's like ten forty. It's cool. It's an organic place to start plugging. And if y'all have last questions, it's the last hurrah. So you can ask, and then you can plug while they're asking. Oh, please, yeah, yeah. Um, precious, gorgeous Ralph dot com precious gorgeous r a l f ralph dot com is where you can see um uh, all my music is there um, my last four albums are there my new music video Emmanuel Lewis is there off of Brooklyn Petting Zoo um some of my sketches are there um yeah check me out uh, I also I teach a lot of the stuff I teach songwriting I teach acting I teach comedy if you're looking for classes and any of those things. Um, yo, say it with yeah. some tenacity. Like, yo, I'm precious fucking gorgeous, my guy. I'm going to make you precious because I'm fucking gorgeous. Oh, shit. Um, man, really not my style. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, my music is is on that site. Uh, my last four records, especially Brooklyn Pettings, I'm really proud of. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah, are you still with us? You froze as I said that. Okay, cool. It's so no. amazing. Are you gonna hype it up properly, or can I hype it up properly for you? I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not I, a hype. This guy. motherfucker named every single fucking track after a significant fucking person from Brooklyn. It's called Brooklyn Petting Zoo. Obvious reference to like the fucking Brooklyn whatever shit's going on. Brooklyn. Every beat is jacked from a Brooklyn person. It's cool. It's a mixtape. And it's like really fucking Brooklyn about it. And you know what? That's brilliant because you might not have thought about that or started Googling these people like I did 
And then I was like, holy fucking shit. That's a real Brooklyn <laughs> architect person that they don't know who the name of is. Do I remember oh, that yeah, guy's name? Perfect. No. But I remember that that's a Brooklyn dude. And I read yeah. that fucking blog going, who the f- is this a real person? That's some s- fucking dope ass shit, my guy. <laughs> Plus, sonically, you're getting an experience. It's everything. You got the, the the thinkings and the feelings. And if you pick an emotional landscape, you might be feeling in a day. I believe Precious Gorgeous has you covered on that motherfucker, which is quite actually impressive because oh, versatility man. across a project of that length is mad important for me. Mm, yeah. I, and that was purposeful that it was, I made it that long because um, uh, here, I mean, here's something like we can talk about it. Uh, Either this time or next time, but like no, I, have now, modes, I have two modes that I make my music in, which is so far, which is I either steal, either I'm jacking for beats, I steal all the beats off of YouTube, like famous beats that I make mixtapes over them, or I compose the music from scratch, like trying to get my life together. Mm-hmm. Those are the two modes of music that I do. Um, so like everything you heard on, on that live album with the band, like all of that stuff, I compose that myself. Um, so that's my dog and so yeah that's the two modes of music that i do so i'm really uh uh what am i trying to say i think i said it yeah that's that's how that's how i that's how i make music so we were saying that this album was a jackie shit and the other album was a music you compose shit so you can prove and flex that you was capable of all that shit yeah and also not even just the styles but like i I'm sequencing that right with with you know I'm getting feedback from friends, but I'm sequencing that record. I'm picking those beats, mm-hmm. so it's not just that those beats are good, but just because a beat is good doesn't mean it belongs next to these other beats. You know Ooh. what I mean? Or, or just because a beat is good doesn't mean it's good for me. Well, you know what I mean? So, yo, a lot of times bands will have these bonus tracks or these songs, and you're like, "We wrote it during this era, but it wouldn't fit the album." And then they keep these songs in the vault for like a decade until it, they write the right album that that track from like 94 will fit into. And it's a really smart choice in a lot of cases because albums need a cohesiveness to it. We did get a question from Ismail though. Please. Who is your favorite Brooklyn rapper? A favorite Brooklyn rapper. Ooh. Technically. Well, here's some shit. Technically, it's Nas. Nas was born in Brooklyn. Okay. So I've my heard the definition five, is where you go to high school counts. I, I I go any way with it because you know Spike Lee came claims Brooklyn. He was born in Atlanta. Okay. So was Chris Rock. So yeah, I go I go either way with it. Technically, it's Nas. Could be Jay. But if I'm gonna go even further than that, it's probably a toss up between the Jizz and the ODB. Okay. That's probably like one that. of those. Yeah, I love I love both of their cousins as well, but they're to me they're two sides of a, of a coin. I fucking love the both of them, the Jizz and the ODB. I love them. Amazing. Honestly, I just gotta say myself, thank you for being here. This is truly one of the ones I'm gonna remember more. Like I said, I learned a lot, and I know that sometimes I, I come off like very forceful, but like come on, that's what I gotta do in this shit. But like, um, 
I really do listen to all the things people tell me, and then I often think about them after. So I know I'm going to be thinking about the things you said for quite a minute after this interview is done, and it's going to impact me in ways I'm certain of it. So that's fucking a gift to me, and that's why I love this shit. That's why it's so cool to me to be able to have, like, yo, what better way could I have spent several hours on a Monday night except here talking to Precious Gorgeous? And I say that with all sincerity in my fucking heart, my girl. I've been looking forward to this, and it was exactly what I was hoping for. That's awesome. I appreciate it. I want. I wanted to talk more because I feel like uh, I feel like you have. I got there's tons of information. I feel like you have that I want to pick your brain about. About. Yeah, like, I wasn't getting off the call with you. Was, uh, usually we talk a little bit after the call's done. Okay. Absolutely. But uh, for for those that are here, um, I'm gonna do the wrap up bit, and something we do on Twitch is called a raid. And my homeboy Nuclear Convoy is on Twitch. And holy shit, I didn't mute him, so I f- he fucking started talking and it caught me off guard. I let it a shit. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna pop by there. He does some drawing shit, and he's the homeboy for like a lot of years. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. So when you get there, if you're not already following him, follow him. If you are there, say what's up for five minutes and then dip whatever, do your thing. But he's interesting. Ask him questions about shit. You can get him rambling as much as you can get me rambling. That's how come we're friends. Um, anyway, so yeah. Definitely do that. Um, but for you, Precious Gorgeous, thank you again for being here. But most importantly, thank you, audience, people watching across the different platforms and whatnot. We appreciate you the most. Like, seriously, knowing people are watching always makes this a better experience for us. And then knowing people can watch it after the fact on YouTube, thank y'all too, or whatever, Spotify, whatever fucking platform you're on listening to this. It's dope that you're there too, so feel free to hit that subscribes, whatever, on that platforms and likes and all that good shit. If you do happen to be on Twitch and you do have that Amazon Prime, that shit is a free subscription, is something I'm saying. Um, otherwise, special thanks to the patrons. It's me, I'll get Amsty, Chris Prado, Jonathan Barnes, DJ Black, Hurricane, Linda Williams, and Scribble. They're dope. They support what we do. I fucking like them a lot. They support me psychologically in huge ways. And if you want to be like them and you're not on Twitch, patreon.com slash behind that suit. On that note, for the sake of the video, live long and prosper, everybody. And, uh, yeah, if you have any last words, now would be a great place for the lastest of last words. Uh, Preciousgorgeousrock.com, and I love you.